Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Sisters of the Leaf, coming to you live once again from, well, all over the fucking place, it's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight, the boys welcome their very special guest, Bill Gould, to discuss his highly unique and dangerously delicious plum brandy, Yabiga, as well as his legendary band, Faith No More. And as long as we're rocking and or rolling... The crew will be smoking the Van Halen-themed CHC Serie E5150 cigar from Crowned Heads and talking about the 1987 cult classic horror film, Rock and Roll Nightmare. Sounds like we're in store for one hell of a good time, folks. At least, maybe even two hell of a good time. Two hells of a good time? Two hell of a good times? Nah. Whatever the fuck it is, folks. Sit back. Light them up. And enjoy the show. Evening, boys. It's uh, been a while since we all congregated together. Everybody doing all right? Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Good to see your smiling faces. Uh, anything new to report? No. No. I, I hate nope. school. Tut hates school. Yak boy says no, doctor. Baseball season is in full swing. Hey, that's a play on words. <laughs> See, I was wondering why you were so chipper over yeah. there. Caught it. <laughs> uh, well, I have some news. I was on the receiving end of my first colonoscopy since we uh, did on the last show, so that was fun. Ooh. I don't know why I phrased it like that. Like, when would I be on the administering side of a colonoscopy? <laughs> Uh, well, you never know, I suppose. It's never too late to learn a new trade. Uh, yeah, so they knock you out cold, which is, thank God, uh, essential. But you guys will dig this. I asked them if they would email me the video of the procedure and what the camera was seeing in there, and they did, which was really cool. Y'all want to see it? No. Uh, no. Heavens <laughs> no. And why did you ask 
for the video. Fair question, yeah, boy. I requested a copy of my colonoscopy uh, video. So from now on, whenever I get pissed off and tell someone to shove it up my ass, I can play the video for them to emphasize exactly what I'm talking about. Um, don't, don't you mean shove it up your ass? Huh? The phrase, shove it up your ass. Yeah, when you get angry with someone, you tell them, hey, shove it up my ass. Um, no, I mean, usually when you get angry with someone, you tell that someone to shove it up your ass, not shove it up my ass. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Well, shit, that explains some things, actually. Hmm. I learned something new today. <laughs> shove it up your ass, tut. Hey. Uh, was that better? Did I get? Did I do it right? Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You did exactly right. All right. Oh, and doctor, I uh, emailed, sent you an email right before the show. Uh, just disregard it, and whatever you do, do not look at the video attachment. Well, I think now we know I'm going to. <laughs> Shove it up your ass, Tut. Oh. <laughs> so uh, you uh, went and saw a, a another doctor. Oh, well, I mean, this is a specialist. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. Um, you know what? Go ahead and read that email. <laughs> I'm a karate man. I cry on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. That's enough about my ass and your ass. and uh, Got a whole lot of ass going on tonight. Uh, welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, episode 154. 154. We have got one hell of a show for you tonight, and I am just going to jump right into it. Oh, yeah. You go enjoy this. Please do. Both feet. I'd like to welcome to the show a special guest that uh, honestly never in a million years would I have envisioned us having the opportunity to talk with when we started this unique little experiment over seven years ago. Uh, Longtime listeners to the show know by my constant referencing their music on the show that I consider myself one of the world's biggest Faith No More fans. And tonight we are honored to have one of the band's founding members, legendary bass guitarist, composer, producer, Billy Gold, joining us here in the corner of No Hope. Welcome, Billy, to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, well, I would like nothing more than to hammer you with Faith No More questions all night. You yeah. are here. You are here for, and I might slip some in at some point. You are here for a very different reason entirely, and a very special reason at that. Our adult beverage selected for this evening's pairing is a very unique product that you yourself have recently introduced to the U.S. market. It's a plum-based spirit that's known in its Serbian homeland as Rakia, and I'm dying to hear your backstory. Uh, when you first tasted it. And what about it? That first impression was so memorable. Well, so I found out about it because Faith No More toured the Balkans pretty early on. When we we played in Berlin and Germany the night the wall fell, like '89, and we were kind of at full <laughs> touring mode then. And it, what happened is that that was amazing. But what was more amazing <laughs> was that whole world opened up like then, and that was when we were touring a lot. So. You know, these promoters kind of popped up out of nowhere and got a hold of our agent and was like, you know, 
first one was, you know, come, come to Hungary, Budapest. So boom, mm -hmm. we're there. Right. And, you know, when you, when you play a place like that, you know, you're getting people from all over. Like I remember the bus, I woke up in the morning on the bus, we were in Budapest. I just got out of the bus just to walk around and just find some food or something. And there's these 12 kids with a crazy look in their eyes. They had just taken some 12 hour bus ride from Bulgaria to come to the show because that's the whole region comes if there's a rock show there, right? And um, so we had people coming from Serbia, from Macedonia, and I didn't know about any of these places, right? Um, and uh, they, you know, money was really tight back then. Uh, so, you know, they came to our shows and they were bringing us gifts of, of this alcohol called Rakia, which, you know, it sounds like rock, you know, and <laughs> some of it was like, horrible fire water and some of it was kind of good it, it tasted different than anything I'd, I'd had before um we went back to slovenia about a year later and uh that was when the yugoslavian war serbia versus croatia was happening and soldiers from both sides came to our gig because it was the only gig in town oh, wow. and people brought wow. more rakia right and, and just by going there i started falling in love with the area uh i I got an old car in Germany and I decided I was going to go drive it from Berlin to, to Albania. So I went and, and people I had met on these other previous shows. I, you know, looked them up and stayed at their house and all of them had this stuff that, you know, their family made. And I just started getting used to it. And I started, I brought punk bands out there. I toured and, you know, I was at one guy's house once. I was with a band crashing in his house. and He brought his grandfather's version out. And this is stuff that's like, I was like, this is amazing. And it didn't taste like anything else. It didn't taste like, you know, whiskey or vodka, but it had a lot of depth to it. And that one I had was a really good one. And I, and I kind of realized that families have this amazing stuff. And I got back home and I was immediately jonesing for it. Like that was my drink. And, um, that was probably not too, when I got the really good one, that was probably early 2000s, 2003, 2002. Um, and I couldn't get it, man. I was looking through Google. I was doing everything I could. There was some sleeve of it, some festival they had in Wisconsin that was defunct. And I couldn't find like, where can I get this homemade stuff? And uh, so I would go out there with bands and I'd, you know, load it in my suitcase and, and you know, bring it back and drink <laughs> it in a day or somebody was coming from there, I'd say, bring a family Rakia with you because you, you can't buy this stuff in stores, right? Um, it's, it's made on this farm, you know, the, oh, the wow. good stuff. You, there's yeah. industrial stuff like there used to be, you know, mezcal with the worm, you know, you could get for a couple bucks, right? But the real stuff, you know, it's kept in the family and, and you don't sell it. So I have to have somebody who, you know, get your grandfather, you know, get one of his bottles, you know, and the people would bring it out and, um, I had this experience about maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago, where this buddy of mine had just done a tour. I'd hooked him up with some promoters out there. And all I wanted for, for you know, to get my, my commission for this was just bring back a bottle of family Rocky, a good one. So he called me at my house. He's across the street from my house. He's in this bar. And he's like, I'm over here. I just got back. And I said, okay, I'm going right over there. Went over there. He's sitting in there. He's got a, he's got a brown paper bag. And he's got, it turns out that this was the Rakia that was made, uh, this guy made when his son was born. And he kept it aged until he get, was ready to get married. So this was this prime family heirloom. And that's wow. what he brought back for me. And he handed it to me and it 
slipped out of my hands and it shattered all over the floor. Oh, and I was just shit. like, what? Like, and when am I going to, when is, when is the next time I'm going to see something like this? You know, like it was really like, fuck. Bill, up. you got it. Bill, you got to You got to squeeze the rag into a glass. I mean, I know. I mean, it was seriously shattered, like mixed with glass. It was just, I couldn't even explain to anybody what it was. Just the only guy who knew was the guy who brought it to me. Um, so, you know, fast forward a couple of years and, and my neighbors, I, you know, San Francisco, uh, there's a lot of, there's a bar called Tornado and their early version of a, a, a early craft beer bar for the States. They have a lot of local stuff. They've been around for like 35 years. That's, that's behind my house. I basically, that's like my living room. So I know a lot of guys and they hang out with guys that are connected to that and they get around, they drink tequila together. And these guys are like, they know everything about spirits. And, and I kind of listened to them and nobody knew what Rocky was. And I was just thinking, you know, I want to just try to find a way to import this stuff. And because nobody knows what it is here. And, uh, it, it, and I'm addicted to it, basically. <laughs> it's this mythical thing that I want. So I just went for it. I knew a guy who was a distributor in California. And I said, hey, man, I got this crazy idea. It's stupid. I'm a musician. I don't know anything about this business. And, uh, you know, I kind of thought, I think I should bring this stuff out here. And he's like, you have to do it. Like, I'll help you. You can use my importing license. I'm like, I left his house like, okay, I'm going to do it. Wow. So that's what I'm doing. This was about three years ago. And I hooked up with a family out there. I mean, Serbia ha is going through this. Well, when I say Serbia, the Balkans is this really big area, right? It goes from Turkey all the way to Austria. And they all have Rakia there. But Serbia is kind of like the Tennessee of, of Rakia. Like they, they work with plums and they're really sophisticated at it. They really, they're just famous for it. And, and my first Rakia that really blew my mind was a, was a mid, uh, central Serbian uh, Šlivovica. So I was like, I got to do that. If I'm going to do this, like that's, that's my drink, right? So um, Serbia has been going through this kind of renaissance where, you know, there are these guys that started this blog that are starting to appreciate Rakia, where they're starting to, because there's masters there that make the stuff that's just ridiculous. And, and it, it was never really being sold because it stays in the family. And, and the other thing is that uh, it's too expensive, you know, for the average person really to buy. Because if you're really making like this with fruit, you know, yeah, it's it's it, people are making two, three hundred euros a month there. It doesn't make sense. Nobody's going to pay a hundred euros, even if it's aged 20 years and it's beautiful. Like they just money's not there. So there wasn't really a market for it. But but these guys started this um, this this blog where they started evaluating it, coming up with criteria and origin and the kind of plums used. And they started chronicling all this stuff. And I was like, man, like this is the time to do it because I can actually I can actually turn people out here in the States onto this. Now it's like a legit thing. Like there's, there's, this is actually a world-class spirit that, that, that people don't know about. So it, it came at a really good time. I, I hooked up with a family who's been doing this for like, um, they've had this farm. Uh, they've been doing it by hand for at least 150 years. And wow. these guys are, there's, there's probably 12 real masters out there in, in, in Serbia. This is one of those families that's it's one of the, the top the top tier families and, and these guys are awesome. Uh, they're smart, you know, they're like they, they want it to be appreciated like a like a real thing. So this is kind of like a really amazing um, like 
meeting of time where like there's this thing that I've always been fixated on and it's kind of like this is its time when it's it's ready it's ready you know so well, that, that's that's that makes, it. no that's it's it's a beautiful kind of open window to 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 pursue it I want to make clear that this isn't like an outsourced bourbon or vodka where anyone with enough cash can kind of jump in and get their exactly get their label on a bottle once you know you decided to pursue this entrepreneurial journey and do it the right way with respect to, you know, its tradition and the, the farmers and the people uh, who produce it. And like you said, it, keep it all within the family. How did you come across this farm and how did you get them to trust you to be their kind of steward to, to share their, their, you know, their love affair with this drink to the rest of the world? I mean, I met them through people who are, involved with rakia and it's a pretty small world you know the okay. guys who are really doing the, the, the amazing stuff um part of it is because being a musician you know and and faith and more connected with the, with the balkans quite a bit and it's because we went there early on and, and you know we made great connections there so they knew who i was right and i think the other thing is and it's, it's kind of sad because somebody like me probably shouldn't be doing this you know somebody who really is is, is a legit expert should you know should probably be doing this but nobody really knows wow. about it and nobody cares about it and they're just like you know so happy that their their culture is getting appreciated actually well hey passion you goes know? a long way it covers passion, a, goes yeah. a long passion way. passion covers up a lot of shortcomings um if it's if it's well directed and, and you know coming from an honest yeah. place and like you said well, you i just, think that was it yeah but going back to when you uh, were touring over there, I was telling the guys this earlier and I was like, I, I could be wrong on this. Were you guys not playing in Berlin when the wall fell? But we were there that night. That's so yeah. amazing. That's <laughs> you know, the, just, the weirdest that's so thing, wild. <laughs> the craziest thing is when you, when you used to tour and you'd play Berlin, you had to go drive to this thing called the Corridor, right? Because Berlin was surrounded by East Germany and there was a one little thing. You had to go through all of these checkpoints, right, to get into Berlin. And they didn't like bands at all. So we always got, you know, it took hours and it was a pain in the ass. Um, and that day, you know, it was just like a normal day of driving through East Germany to get to West Germany. Uh, so we were at the, in the club and um, somebody said, hey, they opened up the wall. Like, uh, you know, like everything is a regular gig. And um, so they said to Mike, hey, go on the microphone and say, Dumar is weg. Uh, the the wall is is gone, and so he's like, okay. <laughs> so he said it, and people were like, why is he saying that? And um, nothing really is weird in the club. And then after the gig, we were finished. We walked outside, and it was just like millions of people. It was like, it was like the the whole city was a giant festival. These East German cars, like millions of them, all over the place, and people were walking around giving champagne to people, and it was just oh, nuts. Wow. But in the club, we didn't. Nobody even there knew that it had happened. We, we never just thought we were doing a stupid joke or something. Yeah, that is nuts. Well, that was nuts. That is that is insane. Um, I also I've heard you say this, which I thought was probably way more epic of a statement than you probably did at the time. You said the difference between a glass of rakia and a glass of bourbon or scotch is the fruit. You said the fruit has a soul to it. Absolutely. Now that boys is reminiscent of some classic poetic cigar blender you know we, we really? we're, used, we're used to hearing these these cigar blenders and farmers talk that way 
about, you know, the soul of the plant. And uh, you, you don't hear that a lot, um, that human side, when, when, you, when you hear a lot of booze people talk. Mm-hmm. It's, um, X, X hops, X grains, blah, blah, blah. You don't really, you don't really hear them actually, you know, actually consider thoughtfully, you know, and I, I think you're right. It's a fruit. It's different. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the farming process and the distilling that mm-hmm. brings uh, Yabiga? Did I say it right that time? Mm-hmm. Yabiga. 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 Uh, from the plum tree to the bottle uh, here in the corner of Hope. You know, right. what well, is. Are you, are you drinking some now? You've had some. I, uh, I am drinking. There we go. Okay. Are, are you guys. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. Let me join you guys here. I actually. By the way, I just. I, I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't break in with a little pairing note here. Yeah, the, yeah, please. The pepper coming off of the nose on the retro hell of this yeah. is playing so freaking well with the sweetness coming off of this thing. It is, it, it's a just right off the bat, and I'm only a half inch in, uh, so we haven't even gotten into the strength of the cigar. But I'm really enjoying that dance between the pepper of the cigar and the sweetness of the. the it it really yeah. that that uh I was gonna say the same thing a little bit down the line, Tut. With every puff after uh, taking a sip of the rakia, that rakia ignites those tannins that are left on your tongue, and it's like almost a little electricity on on your front end. But then, when on the back end, there's that velvet kind of vanilla sweet, very subtle yeah. sweetness. It's got a big finish. Yeah, and it, it brings awesome. it brings out a sweetness in the cigar. The cigar is very leathery to me. Is it to you boys? It's a, it's, kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's a nice yes, leather. Very. It's a very nice leather, but that's kind of the main note I'm getting is, is, is the leather, a little bit of earth. But boy, that back end, that that really smooth vanilla and sweetness just kind of brings out the the best of the earthiness in the cigar. So uh, yeah, it's pairing cool. beautiful. Um, but no, but it's, so I'm sorry, uh, Bill. Yeah, about from, the fruit. From tree to to the bottle. Yeah. Is it um, is it distilled once? Is it uh, do you use the entire plum? Like what are we looking at here? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so it's double distilled. Um, okay. There's something to start back to the tree. There are really five types of plums used to make rock. Yeah, you you got to realize like you know brandy goes back in France something like 1300. They've been making rock in the Balkans since at least 1000. So. And, we're, and it hasn't really probably from 1000 to 1800, it probably didn't change much in process. Uh, so we're talking about like, they know their fruit, right? They know their land, they know their farm, they know their fruit. So the, the basic raw materials going into it is everything. Um, these plums that, that they use that are really known in Serbia, there, there's one called Bojegaca. Um, Sevena Ranka, Red Ranka, um, uh, Chachanska Rodna, Chachanska Lepotica. Though these are different plums just native to this area that just distill really well. So they have a very unique taste. So that's the first part. Um, the next part that really makes this special is, you know, when you when you pick the trees, they have to be picked. There's a couple ways to do it. You can, you know, go when the season's ripe and you just pick the trees and you just shove them in the mash. Um, that's kind of the industrial, you know, way of doing it. But but the real way to do it is is eat, the fruit has to be at maximum technical ripeness. It's like when when the amount of sugars is at its peak. Uh, and 
that doesn't happen on a tree all at once. Uh, so you have to hit the same tree about five, six times to, to okay. clear it out. Yeah. It, it, they, they ripen at different times. Nobody really has the patience or energy to do that, but it's worth it because everything going into it is exactly where it's supposed to be. Um, from there, you depit it, you mash it, uh, and it's about 10 days. And you distill it on these 500 liter old pot stills. Uh, and, you know, you, you store that distillate, you, uh, you distill it again. And the last thing that, that, the, that my guys do that makes a real difference is they put this cold stabilization process for, for 24 hours. They, because what happens is the distillate is very angry after it's done and, and the cold kind of binds it for about 24 hours. And then it's, it, it somehow clears up a lot of, I, I think about like an audio. Uh, it's kind of like, um, what would it be like? It's, it, it's, it's like putting something through a nice, I'm going to get all tight here, but like If you mix through a really nice bus compressor where everything goes through a certain compressor, it kind of glues all of the elements of the mix together. And it's, if you do it right, it's invisible, but it just feels more like a record. Just this kind, kind of, of it's kind of finisher. Angriness. It's a finisher. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it's really it is pretty. It makes that it's that difference really. So now it can be stored. It can be aged. Uh, the oak we use on my the farm. Our farm is comes from that hill. It's Serbian oak because it's that's what they have. It's their farm. Um, but you don't have to age it. Like going back to being fruit. I mean, there's a clear one that's young that's fantastic. And and a lot of people now. I mean. I went through New York, you know, on a sales tour and half the people that I, I sampled both products, they preferred the, the unaged yeah. one. There's kind of like a backlash against wood now because I think people kind of feel like they've been tricked. <laughs> there's so much, there's so much, you know, smoke and mirrors with, with, with oaking, oakiness and what it, how it masks, you know, part of the, 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 the essential part of the, the spirit. So yeah. it can be, it can be being fruit, you know, what you really want to do is not get in the way of the fruit. You want to express the fruit the beauty of the fruit. So you don't need to have wood to do that. Wood can, can make it different and it can accentuate certain things. So what you're getting here is with these tannins and vanilla that it still tastes like plum, right? But you yeah. don't want to lose the plum. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the methodology, the, the, the you know mentality that goes into it. Okay. And I, and I should mention right now, there are two expressions of your Rocky, uh, right. available. Uh, the Perva, which we're drinking tonight, which is aged in oak barrels. Uh, are those charred at all? Or are they just straight no, up no, first straight use, up. First use yep, barrels? Exactly. That's right. Um, and then there's also the Bella, which is not aged. Um, and it's the much, it's the clear, like where you get stored in stainless steel. Exactly. Is that, you know, more, I mean, is that more along the lines of what they would have on the, on the table? Um, the clear, as far as um, on, on a, it's secure? like a working rock. Yeah. Right. Though okay. it's a very well-made one. So, you know, I mean, a lot of clear rockets, they have the same, you know, association like we do here. Sometimes if it's got wood, it's going to be better. You know, if it's 20 mm. years age, it's better than something that's young. Like there's, there's a lot of, you know, assumptions that go into that. But, yeah. but in fact, um, the clear one is like a working one because you can get it that season. Um, but, you know, this, the oaken part, let me the way to put it into perspective is there are 10,000 registered distillers in Serbia uh, that are registered. 
So probably pretty much every family kind of distills or, or if their family doesn't, their cousins do. So there are deviations on how people do things and there are different personalities and things that go into this. And, um, and it's all kind of unique with the terroir and the family tradition, but, um, and so, so, you know, some people, they could do the wood. They only work with wood. You know, they, they go up to 20 years with the wood. But like this wood here, it's only 18 months. It's, it's, it's pretty substantial, but it's not that old, really. Um, it's a lot of variation. I guess that's what I meant to say. Okay. Well, that's actually very similar to what we see in every day in the cigar world. Uh, you know, people <laughs> aging uh, their tobaccos a million different ways, uh, fermenting their tobaccos. Uh, anywhere from burying the tobacco under, you know, hot coals in Brazil um, for weeks at a time to fire curing uh, tobacco in Kentucky, where uh-huh. the, the tobacco is hung in a barn where they're just constantly, you know, relighting coals underneath and just smoking the hell out of Interesting. it Interesting. Uh, for two weeks and everything in between. Um, and then, you know, you'll get the same thing, you know, some people think that the aging, the tobacco and, and bourbon barrels brings, um, you know, that, I don't know. My opinion is that's a lot more, um, flash and marketing, uh, at least, at least on the, I'm not yeah. sure about, I'm yes. not trying to spirit right. something. The, at the least it gets world, the radar going like in the cigar world. It's, it's yeah. more, more often than not, it's a bunch of bullshit. It doesn't do anything to make or break the cigar. Right. Uh, interesting. The, the 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 hard the raw ingredients the the farm tobacco is what's going to make your cigar uh, a pleasant experience or a, a dud. Um, so, but but I think there are some real similarities there in in the spirit world. We just we just don't yeah. really get to hear about that too much. Um, all right, well let me I mean, jump back. Let me jump yeah, back yeah. if I can. Just sure. um, so once everything shut down nationwide back in 2020. Mm-hmm. I know you, uh, Bill, participated in several online Zoom-based kind of musical collaborations with members of bands like Mastodon, Cypress Hill, BC Boys, uh, to raise money for roadie relief. Right. Uh, covering song. <laughs> Y'all did a great Bee Gees cover. Uh, I think you guys did the Public Enemy song. Uh, and then some other musicians chose to cover Faith No More, which is really cool. That's right. How – I got to know, when you watch that YouTube video – how cool was it for you to see DMC rapping? We care a lot. I mean, that was kind of cool. That was really it's, cool. It's cool. It's and the guys that did it were just great guys. It was a great experience. I mean, when the when the vibe is good, it's just fun, you know. Uh, you, I mean, you guys and everyone on all not just your video uh, collaborations, but for the most part, like I know uh, the Charlie, the drummer from Anthrax, was doing one like every other day, and he'd have these right. new new guys, and they were just killing it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so did the Rush cover, and the, yeah, that's right. They were sounding really good. It was Somebody really sounded good. really good. He did a he did a Billie Eilish cover that was just you know I got an eleven year old I got an eleven year old daughter so I could finally like play something for her that she would right right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dad's on the same page, not really, but uh, but then as a as a band, Faith No More did an awesome thing. We all autographed a shitload of tour posters. And made some like exclusive shirts. Uh, mm-hmm. I was actually going to wear mine tonight, so my wife told me that would be really cheesy. Uh, so I, I didn't. She's like, "Well, how would you feel if you were interviewing if someone's interviewing you and they're wearing a Tuesday night cigar club shirt?" Like, I'd fucking love it. 
you're you're the guy who bought it. Thanks. Um, but no, but you guys did to help raise uh, money for your touring crews. Right, right. Those guys and gals were hit so hard over oh, last. Oh man, week. you I, know, I, for I, us because we had a tour set up right before the pandemic hit. Like literally, we were supposed to go out in about three weeks before the lockdown. So our guys were like ready to go. I mean, this was like it just got them, and then it got postponed several times. It was brutal. It was brutal. Like, just totally. I uh, I was lucky enough to snag a, a signed Dublin 2009 poster with the goldfish going in my diving oh, into cool. my my cool. beloved my uh, beloved pint of Guinness. Uh, oh, I'm just uh, uh, so that was just really awesome. But it leads me to this question: Was it during this period of kind of involuntary downtime where you got shut down, where you kind of got the idea that you could do this? With Arakia, or do you think, regardless of where you were music performance-wise, you would have found your your thirst for sharing for not just drinking it, but for sharing it? Would you have found the the energy and the time? Do you think to do this? If or is this just something really cool that came out of one of the few cool things that came out of the pandemic? Um, I would have done it anyway because I've I've kind of been going on this slant of uh, this culture, you know, the Balkan culture, just. I really connected with it when I first went there. I, I kind of feel like, you know, I came from there. <laughs> they kind of have my sense of humor out there. And um, so it's just something that I, you know. Fatalist? I was going, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was going there on my own a lot. Uh, so, I mean, I love the food, you know, I love the people. And uh, I was going to, I was just headed in that direction. So the Rakia thing, it was a little in- intimidated because because it's a big deal out there i mean out there everybody knows what rocky is everybody drinks it it's just that nobody knows what it's here it's like i kind of felt a little scared about the responsibility <laughs> i don't want to blow it for these guys you know sure. i don't want to be i don't want to give the wrong message um we really I, like, I think i would have done it anyway i think that's the short answer and that's and that's what's really so important about you know that you found this farm that you that you were this careful with it because let's face it in the in the in the spirit world, you only have kind of one shot to introduce something new. And if you blow it, who's going to, who's going to give another chance when there's a million other things coming out behind you? Well, you know, um, there's that. And I'm also fueled by the fact that this not recognized here kind of pisses me off. I feel like it's been kind of ignored. And uh, it's like, I want to bring a really good version of it because I, I actually think that it needs to be recognized. I mean, like I said before, this is about three or 400 years before French were making brandy. Like this is really like it's kind of a missing link in 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 spirits that that it's its own thing, right? And somebody needs to do it, and I just like nobody's doing it, so it's like fuck it, I'm gonna do it. Well, I think Tut, uh, I'm gonna go to you first because you guys have been sipping on it now, and, and neither of you boys had tried any prior to tonight, correct? No, like I said, yeah. I've I've actually it's... been in the region and I had never even heard of this. What do you think? What uh, cigar cigar pairing aside, just as uh, you know, just from a drinking experience, what, what what are you getting? I really like it. It's I, you know, I've been trying to like find something to equate it with, and I just can't. I mean, there's That's there's a the little problem. bit of a smokiness to it, but the fruitiness separates it from any type of scotch, any type of bourbon, which. It's really kind of interesting because, you know, with cigars, you got the retro hell that you come up through the nose. There is an interesting thing that when you first take a drink, it plays right on that entrance to the retro hell. It almost like opens it up. And it's just to me, it's it's a marvelous little play right there. 
Um, I, I'm really liking it. I, I didn't think that I would because, frankly, when you the first thing you say when fruit, I just kind of shut down. <laughs> of course. Uh, right. But no, no. There's a sweetness there that's not like a manufactured sweetness. See, like in cigars, a lot of times they'll sweeten things. They'll like to sweeten mm-hmm. the tip. And to me, it just screams, I'm alterating, I'm alterating this. I'm bastardizing this. Right. And that's not the personality of this drink at all. And that's what I, that's what's kind of kind of caught me off guard because I've never really been I've never taken a, a flavored or a fruit style drink seriously. I don't drink I don't drink mixed drinks. I don't, well, I'm not a pina right. colada guy or anything right, like that. Right. I just and I, I think, I'm really gravitating to this. But I think that might also be Tut is because so many of the fruit inspired or based. Um, bottled spirits it's artificial i mean they're not actually well yeah they're just kind of in, introducing you know these flavors through some kind of you know half-assed chemistry and yeah i mean you're it's basically alcoholic kool-aid at a, at a certain point yeah it's, it's fruit flavored uh, sugar water <laughs> yeah and and right? i think yeah. the, the, what i really what i really like about the perva is you get you had mentioned scotch to, what what it does remind me of scotch is that first initial on the front end of that sip, you get that, that alcohol sting kind of on your tongue. But by the time you're, like I said earlier on that swallow, it is just that really mellow, mild, mild uh, vanilla mixed with that sweetness uh, of the plum. And it's, I mean, it's, it's incredibly easy drinking. I mean, it's so, it's so smooth. It is super easy drinking. Yeah, um, so what, what you're the you're the uh, probably the more educated of the liquor side of our things. Well, what are you thinking? I had you know, like I said, I have a Czech background, so we you know, mm. you know visited the Czech Republic many times, and so you know we grew up kind of having what would be this. I mean, we you know we just yeah, called it here. You know, it was just what you know, like you mentioned, Slivovica. And, yeah. but we never got anything like this. What we basically got, and even what we had over there was moonshine. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, someone just, you know, making it on their own. And effectively, that's all they really were doing. They were doing nothing for flavors, all alcohol. And, right. you know, and then, you know, and that, and we have had, had some, you know, now the, that was made more like this. They, they took the time to, you know, work some things out as opposed to just literally saying, I'm going to find a, any material that I can, you know, mash down and, and distill and, and, and pour it in a glass. Yeah. And they're like, this stuff's great. And then you're like, this is gasoline. I'm sorry. But this, no, this is wonderful. I mean, like you just mentioned scotch. Yes. Like he said, that, that little sting at the beginning and then it just, yeah, but halfway like a, through and then all the way to the back end it's that sweetness i'm loving that i and i'm like i said i you know if i if you just handed me a glass and said sniff it i would have been you know this is almost has almost more of a citrus almost so because it's so sweet yeah. and yeah, i was just right. like i wasn't expecting that it's but, incredibly aromatic i mean it's it, the that's it, you're, you're you're shortchanging your experience if you don't stick your nose in and and just really savor. You really are, and I I I'm the first to make fun of stuff like that. 
it's funny. I will sniff a cigar for like 10 minutes, but sniffing drinks, and I'm like, oh, you pretentious asshole. No, you're right. No, you're right. It's like you, you're doing yourself a disservice if you do. You, you know what? Experience all of it. And I, and I think I only did that on one other episode. Remember a few years ago, I, we had a really aromatic uh, IPA. It was just this crazy citrus, cantaloupe and mango smell. And I, I was like, you, you guys, you got to get it. And I stuck my nose in it and I drank it right through my I took a big swig right through my nose. I never did that again. Um, well, you know, I, I do want to say the thing that I like about it, we've, we've been using terms like sweetness, but I, I want to say it's not sweet. It's not like exactly. It's dry. You're right. It's just it's just sweeter than what I'm normally used to as, as a scotch and a bourbon drinker. And like mm-hmm. I said, and the vanilla's there, but I've had bourbons that are far more vanilla abstract compared to this. Oh yeah, and, and so, I imagine that's from the freshness of the oak. Um, yeah, and I just mm-hmm. I, I just like how those flavors are present, but they're not omnipresent. They're not just dominating everything. Uh, so. So here's the thing you, you're probably going to notice now. I'm going to just bring it up. Maybe I shouldn't tell you, but it's probably worth knowing. You know, because, you know, the, the, the land can vary and terroir means a lot because it has to do with the trees in your orchard and yeah. how they grow. It's more like wine in a way, right? Uh, this farm is about 800 meters up. It's about 2,400 feet up, which is about as high as you can get to grow plum trees. So this is a very unique farm in in, in terms of elevation. And one thing that's interesting about it being up that high is that it's surrounded by conifers. There's a lot of pine trees. So you're probably going to notice this now, but this, some of these pine oils uh, in the air get into the fruit and it, it survives through some of the distillation. So this is from this farm in particular, that's one characteristic that kind of sets it off from other ones. That's so okay. cool. Keep your eyes open for some pine boys. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I, I will say this though, because I, I, especially when uh, not so much scotches or, or brandy or good scotches or, or enjoyable brandies, but a lot of my experiences with uh, my very limited experience with brandies and, and other liquors of that nature. Uh, just for you, Bill, I'm going to call it the jizz lobber effect. These these super aggressive, they're super aggressive for 90% of the time you're drinking them until you're about on your sixth glass. And then finally that church organ comes in. It's like, hallelujah. (laughs) I can finally drink this shit. Okay. Now because I'm hammered. And it's like, it's like this, it's like this this battle through, you know, you've got to get to where you can finally. Right. Okay. And and then, you know, it's, um, and I just three, four glasses later, I'm still, Still, it's still fighting me, and I'm like, why am I drinking this? Yeah, and and that's kind of what my honestly my kind of biased impression on brandies and and uh, and things of that nature was. And this is uh, just it's a credit to your process and Eurakia. It's not that at all. It's it's mm-hmm. it's like I said, it's got that that Glenfiddich kind of not peaty, but just that real nice introduction but then it just really mellows out and it could it could get dangerous sipping this stuff if you're not careful uh the, the good side is it's made with really it's just plums and water it's not so going to mess you up too badly yeah so that's it's, it it's healthy just plums and water and the water comes from the mountain i mean this is we're talking a really rustic farm like the first order we made we ordered a pallet and uh it snowed and everybody had to walk all the cases down the hill on a 
oh, geez. footpath to get it into the truck. <laughs> I mean, we're talking really rustic. But, you well, know, I can, I can the, see this appealing to not just scotch drinkers, but wine drinkers. Um, wine? Yeah, I could see, I could yeah. see, I could see yeah. wine drinkers. Let me, that goes back real quick and I'll get, let you jump into it. As far as the plums go, I know wine making grapes aren't the same as the grapes you're munching on from the grocery store. Can you right. eat, the, are these plums that you're using? Are these, do they taste good or are they much you, better you, suited for? You can eat them, but, but they're much better for distillation. A, a lot of these plums, uh, I mean, I think Serbia is the third highest plum exporter in the world. So a lot of these plums actually go out for food, mo- mostly to, to Russia and uh, where they get freeze dried and they stay around that part of the world. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're okay to eat. I, I still, I would rather drink them than eat them personally. <laughs> uh, uh, what were you going to jump in with, Tut? Uh, now I can't remember. Yeah, slow down on that rock, yeah. No. Uh, let me, uh, as premium cigar smokers are well aware, packaging from the box artwork to the cigar band's imagery, uh, our one tonight, certainly uh, I'll explain that here shortly. Um, they're crucial in grabbing a consumer's attention when you're, when you walk into a large humidor, you know, there's thousands of cigars begging you to grab them. And That's you know, for sure. that, that aspect of it. So could you, it's so important. Could you tell us and our listeners a little bit about, here's why I love this bottle. So many of the spirits come out and they've got this, you know, the stereotypical, you know, Kentucky old gentleman on his porch or a herd of Buffalo yeah. or some of that other stereotypical, you know, stuff. Uh, you went bold on this, and no <laughs> surprise, no surprise, you went against the grain. How did you come up with the idea uh, for the labeling? You know, it, it, it's a cultural thing, so you wouldn't know this, but I can explain it to you. First of all, the woman on the bottle, she made Rakia till she was almost 100, probably 98 years old, and uh, her thing was actually making Rakia from natural products. Uh, there was a period of time after World War II where everything became, you know, made to scale like everything else everywhere, you know, and, and people got used to cheap rakia that was made, you know, in mass quantities. And she kind of stuck with it in her village and, and was a purist. Um, plus, she's got this look that everybody's Serbian baba looks like. You know, she is just she is so classic for that area. But the other thing is when, when people die in the village, um, uh, let me find the Bella here because this is a better, this is actually the original label was white, right? And it's what this actually is, is an obituary. When somebody dies in a village, they make these handbills, these flyers of the person who died and they put them all over the post office and all over the place. Everybody in the village knows that this person down the road died. Um, when I first went there, I just saw these flyers. I thought it was some punk band or something. <laughs> it looks totally cool, right? I had never seen anything like that before. And I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. And it's like, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a label for a bottle. And for the people out there, they're like, why are you putting that on as your label? It's an obituary. Do you know that? That this, you know, they, it's, so it's kind of a black humor to it. And then and the last part of it is that, that Yebiga actually means in Serbia, fuck it. So literally means fuck it. Uh, so uh, between that and the obituary and, and Baba, I think that's kind of all sums up my my relation to this, this stuff. I love it. Fuck it. Um, 
Okay, that's awesome. Um, what I also heard in that was that she was making this till she was a hundred. So you're saying if I drink this, I too shall live to one. <laughs> There's a chance. What I, okay, so you Serbia also need to live and, and live in pristine air. There, there's some villages where there's there's like the patriarch who's like 104 years old, and they, the news always finds him and interviews him, and they're always like, "What is the secret to your long life?" And he's always like, "I have two shots of rakia every day." Like they always say that. Right. Like <laughs> totally. <laughs> I can show you YouTube videos where they're saying it. It's just amazing. Like there, there rakia, was... rakia, you know. I, I go, and like they say things like, "Oh yeah, you drink rakia and you work in the fields. You don't need to drink water." It's like, oh really? Oh wow! <laughs> you need you don't need food or sustenance. Man. Just oh, yeah. just rockia. What you need the tractor? You need to fuel for the tractor. Rockia works. <laughs> you, know? you, you need fuel for the horse. It, you know the baby thing. Everything. Yeah, it's like part of the family. It really. It, it reminds me, boys, of the uh, the World War II veteran. Remember the he lived to be, I think, one hundred and six. Uh, the African American veteran who they did yeah, all here in these, Austin. Oh, was he in Austin? Yeah, 106. But every news article was he drinks, uh, you know, X amount of bourbon every day and smokes six cigars. And so every cigar group is sharing these articles like, there you go, like this is it. <laughs> it's, like, right, well, it's, it's one guy. He's the one. He's the one. I do think a certain amount of pleasure is conducive to a long life, though. You have to give yourself some pleasure, right? Absolutely. Uh, that, absolutely. Um, well, for tonight, speaking of cigars, uh, let me go and tell you what we're smoking tonight, guys. Yeah. I selected, because um, we do have a special guest tonight, the CHC Serie E 5150 from Crowned Heads. Uh, based in Nashville, Crowned Heads has a long history of naming their cigars after musical inspirations. Uh, I think we did their Headley Grange on the show, which is pretty good. Um, and the Serie E was released last year as a tribute to legendary guitarist Eddie Van Halen. Uh, the E actually, more specifically, stands for Eruption, which is, of course, a song that features one of the most famous guitar solos in history. Now, here's... What I, where I was talking to you earlier about, you know, the poetic prose and describing uh, the blending and the processing. I'll give you a little glimpse into our world, Bill. See if you don't, can don't go yeah. here, Bill. Crown, <laughs> okay. crown, crowned heads. Uh, main man, John Huber, had this to say about the inspiration for tonight's cigar blend. I listened to that guitar solo and saw it as a sonic metaphor for smoking the cigar. From the drum and bass intro, which I saw as cutting and lighting the preparation of the cigar, to the mixing of triads and harmonics, which I compared to the complexity of the flavor profile, to the bottoming out dive bombs that was reminiscent of the finish of the cigar, it all paralleled seamlessly. The CHC Serie E smoking experience is a medium plus body dance on the edge between technical mastery and random entropy, result, <laughs> resolving in a balanced melodious harmony. How's that? Melodious. Melodious. Yeah. What did I say? Melodious? <laughs> melodious. I I just, they need, I they think... need Jay Peterman to read all this stuff. <laughs> it's very Jay Peterman from Seinfeld stuff. I mean, uh, at least if, if it's Van Halen, he's entitled to say it. That's the way I see it. Absolutely. Did you ever have any run-ins with those Van Halen guys? Never did. Never did. No. I mean, I think that maybe they had split up when we were in any kind of world where we would have come into contact with each other. Right. And then we split up when they kind of came back. So, yeah. yeah. No, not so much. 
Okay. Let me ask you this, Billy. Do you have any experience smoking premium cigars? I do, but not enough to where, I mean, somebody can walk me through it and tell me what I'm smoking, but I don't have enough experience to really say I can put things into context and appreciate them properly. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to, uh, I think one of the things that I appreciate about both of these worlds, especially listening to you talk about these Serbian farms, which I've, uh, we went through a short and I, I didn't get to Serbia, but we went from, uh, Kosovo up to, uh, Macedonia or Macedonia to Kosovo through yeah. Bosnia Herzegovina. It's the first time I'm, I'm a Texas boy. And it's the first time I've ever seen farms grown uphill on a mountain. Oh and yeah, it was it was just such beautiful land, and it was so cool to see that process. Yeah, I mean, you probably drove by some like outdoor distillers. I don't know what time of year you were there, but like a lot of people have their stills outside, and when it's like fall time, you know, and the harvest happens, like the family's just around, just cooking and eating, and just like cooking, cooking their juice. It's a great yeah. thing, all yeah. through the countryside. Yeah, Bill, do you pair this with a with a big uh, meat, like a you know. Uh, Meat is fantastic. Meat I'm is guessing like great a, with this. I'm guessing like a fatty steak. Fatty or... meat. Fatty meat. Steak. Uh, you know, it's really great, uh, like lard, anything like, I mean, what they have this stuff out there that's called slani now, and it's basically just fat with some salt. That Live to 104 Ridiculous. <laughs> but, uh, you know, also, I mean, like charcuterie, right? Like sausages, that kind of cheese. Cheese is a really good. This fat is. Oh, I can see. This. Yeah, I can see cheese going. OK. Yeah. Um, oh, just to finish up the cigar, boys, it is a um, uh, the 5150, which, of course, is named for a, a Van Halen album. I think Sammy Hagar's first album with them. Uh, it's a five and a half right. by 50 ring gauge um, cigar. It uses an Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a binder from Jalapa, Nicaragua. And the fillers, Tut, you like this, uh, are all Nicaraguan from the regions Jalapa, Ometepe, and Pueblo Nuevo. So I know you're a big Ometepe. That actually, tight, that reminds me with Bill when he just got this Jones and, you know, he experienced this Rakia and he couldn't get his hands on it. I remember when we went to that blending seminar and you got that, that little Purito of nothing but Ometepe. Ometepe is a, it was the Lajero. It was the Lajero. It was Ometepe, very strong Lajero, which is the top of the tobacco plant. It gives you your strength. And they rolled in this little Purito, a little tiny cigar of just that one leaf. And he fell in love with it and he couldn't get it. You just, you can't just get that. (laughs) And every, every manufacturer we talked to, we'd be like, can I, you know, he's just Jones and he's got, got to get more Ometepe. Just give me it. Uh, Which I will really, say, it's it's nice because you can tell the Ometepe is giving it a little bit of strength. My my Crown Heads is one of those cigar manufacturers that a lot of people love, and they just it's it's just doesn't sit, it just doesn't sync with my palate as yeah. as well. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not in in my palate range. Uh, but I like I love the fact that the Ometepe gives it a little bit more strength, which has always been one of the things that I think doesn't make me sink with Crown Heads. The Jalapa gives it a little bit of a sweetness to it, so there there's a little bit more of a strength presence with this cigar than I w- I would normally find with Crown Heads. So I am liking that, and it should because you're doing a freaking ballsy ass Eddie Van Halen solo. So yeah, if you're gonna make an Eddie Van Halen cigar, it should have some balls, uh, and it and it does, and that. Uh, the Omatepe tobacco, Billy, it's 
it's at, that's actually farmed in the volcanic. It's on a volcanic island in Nicaragua. Wow. Where that that soil is so dense and right. rich. Right. Uh, and it just if they if they have the patience, like you mentioned earlier, to let those plants grow, that top priming, that lajero that gives the cigar right. its kick is so recognizable. But most tobaccos, I mean, yeah, you, you, it sounds like you, a Sicilian wine, like around yeah. Etna. They get like that. They get very, very. What's the word? Uh, there's a certain word that's very characteristic because volcanic rock. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. It's magic. I mean, it's just, it's just yeah. this little island and it just it, it's. Usually, usually if you get a cigar with six, seven different leaves from different countries, it's really hard to pinpoint, but that Ometepe is You can identify this one. Very distinct, it is. Uh, Are you guys enjoying the cigar, Uh, both aside from the pairing? For me, I'm not getting the sweetness, Tut, in the cigar until I chase it or proceed it with the Rakia, the Perva, because I smoked one of these yesterday and did not just without the, the, the booze. And I did not get any kind of sweet component out of the cigar. And to me, that sweetness is getting ignited by the Perva, for sure. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I have to be hesitant because I've got so much focus going into the Perva because it's a new experience, new taste, and I'm just kind of really focusing mm-hmm. in on it, that if I were to sit there and give my thoughts on the cigar, it might undervalue the cigar because I'm just kind of like, Nah, whatever. I want something more ballsy with this with this drink. Uh, uh, no, that makes that makes sense. So I don't want to I don't sh- want to get too hard on it. Yeah. I'm gonna say I think it. I mean, I like the I like this pairing because in, in terms of sweetness from the cigar, I haven't gotten that. But like you said, because of the strength of the blend on this, you get like you said. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, it's very you know leathery. Uh, earthy types, you know, flavors coming off of it, but coming from the, 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 just that general sweetness and just how, you know, you get the, that the little bit of sting and then the strength from the cigar, from the, the Ometepe, from the, that, and then the sweetness on the backside here. I'm yeah, like a winner. I, it's I, a win- I, I just retrohaled and I made myself in a tremendous liar. Uh, I think <laughs> I, I think the retro hell on this pairs perfectly with the with the perva. Perva is what that the pronunciation? Perva. Uh, perva, you're good. Oh, and, and by the uh, way, Billy, retro hell is the fancy term for blowing smoke out your nose. Oh, uh, okay. Which so, really, which really, which really, as as guys who review cigars and and kind of live in it, if you're not blowing smoke out your nose while smoking a cigar, you're missing. Oh, okay. so much. I didn't know this. This is the first time I've ever heard that, actually. Yeah, you're missing so much of the experience. Uh, you pick up so many notes and so many subtle things. You know, through, that through means the... it has to get into your lungs to come out your nose, right? No. You got to take a full draw? No. Yeah, no, just okay. all, all above the head. Yeah. Okay. Um, all above the head. And it's, it's cool because the, there's some pepper there. It's not heavy pepper. It's not dominant, but it's just enough to spice it up. And, mm-hmm. again, there's a little bit of cedar that comes through there. And so that cedar playing off of the the sweetness of the of the perva is just a it's a great matching, and you know so much time where I'm trying to focus on the drink I forget to retro hell. That's why I was saying the the before retro helling it. I mean it was it was an okay cigar, but man when you retro hell it opens up that pepper and cedar to match. Now you're, it, it's it's nice. good. 
now you're cool. now you're uh, now you're cooking, buddy. Yeah, you know it's weird, Bill. With pairings with cigars, it's kind of like adding a splash of water to, right. uh, a, you know, it it can really open. Right. On, on some cigars, in like some drinks, you you add that water, it can just kind of open up things that were. This can do that of, as well. Rocky will do that. We're just a drop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just a little bit, but all of a sudden, some yeah. some an aroma that was real subtle before can kind of exactly. blossom. Uh, a little bit of flavor that you were only hinted at will kind of come alive. It's amazing Mm -hmm. with that. And that's really what a perfect or an ideal beverage cigar pairing does is that whatever you're drinking just helps that cigar Mm -hmm. be its, be its best Mm -hmm. self. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you guys drink, do you guys drink coffee? Yes. yes. The way you're describing cigars, it sounds like coffee uh, descriptions as well. When you get into blends. There's a lot like, of similarity. A lot of similarity. And there's this actually is, a lot of cro- there's a lot it. of crossover between the coffee world and the cigar world. That's a big thing there, now with with uh coffee infused cigars. Similar climates for, for uh growing. very similar climates. Um oh my god, we we uh we went to Nicaragua right before the shit hit the fan early 2020 and uh just getting some of their the freshest coffee you could get off those mountains. Imagine. Holy wow. shit! Oh God, so, wow. so good. Love it. Um, yeah, so they're they're very similar worlds, and I, I. But I think these. I think everything that all ties together, whether it be food, whether it be spirits, cigars, uh, coffee. It's just if if you've got kind of an open minded palate to just have fun and explore, it's it's really hard to be bored because mm-hmm. there's always something new you can you can try and there's always a new combination of things you can try to see if they work together. And it's just, mm-hmm. know, it just makes life, it makes life interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, um, just for fun boys. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you guys. Uh, the, the cigar is very peppery uh, and strength wise through the nose with uh, that nice leather profile. I think the drink is, is very much helping it just for fun. I am going to light up because I have a feeling this pairing might rock. I have a Pappy Van Winkle barrel fermented Robusto from Drew Estate. Huh. And I'm really curious as to how this will pair with the Perva. Oh, you this mad scientist. I think, I think you're going to nail it. This cigar <laughs> bill uses a dual Kentucky Tapa Negra wrapper and a Mexican San Andres wrapper. And the filler tobacco is, and we've, we've, we've witnessed this process uh, quite a few times. It's amazing. The filler tobacco is fire cured in Kentucky, in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, for two weeks in these barns. Uh, we went there. We checked that out. Then it's shipped down to St. James Parish, Louisiana, where the tobacco is placed in these spent Pappy Van Winkle bourbon barrels uh, under immense pressure. What are those jacks, wow. yeah, boy, they use? Were they train jacks? Railroad jacks. Railroad jacks. Huh. The pressure they put on these barrels – uh, and I think they do that for 18 months. Wow. Yes. Until basically when they would crack open these barrels for us to look at, it looks just like pure oil. Wow. I mean, it is just soup. Wow. And then they take that uh, back to Nicaragua to be util- utilized in the final blend. It's a very bold, de- it's a very divisive cigar. People either love it or they hate right. it. Anything with fire cured tobacco is, is a very distinct taste. Mm. Um, but it, I think this pairing beverage Dude, might bring. I think you're right. I think That's it might balance cool. out. I, I think the Perva might balance out some of the strength in the Pappy, and then I also think it might kind of uh, take some of the sharpness around the edges. Um, 
of the fire cured. We'll see. I, I'll, I'll report back soon. Um, All right. Oh, I, 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 I did. I did have one question, and I hope you don't mind me asking it. And and you can you can absolutely say no comment or or not ask it. But you know how like there's always that there's always those stories of oh I, I heard my song here and it was so cool because I, it was just that's us. You you hear yourself on the radio or you hear yourself somewhere that's unexpected and you're like that's so fucking cool. Have you ever heard yourself somewhere to where you're like, oh no, that's not us. We shouldn't be. They they shouldn't be using us here. Or no, that no, that's not us. Like it wouldn't be appropriate, or I'm embarrassed, or just like it's not what you and your music is about, and yet it's oh, almost yeah, like they're co-opting absolutely. it. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, a lot of bands do covers of us. I've been in clubs where they they played versions of our songs and. They got the all the really vulgar parts of it right. <laughs> it's kind of like showing you a mirror of yourself distorted in all the wrong ways, you know. Circus. That's, that's painful. That's painful. Um, well, I mean, that's yeah. a great question because I mean, you guys have been, you know, uh, one. It's that Bill and Ted. You know, back to the Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Gross Point Blank. Uh, right. I, I was. I was watching uh, TV a month or so ago, and I came across an episode of It's Sunny in Philadelphia. They played two Faith No More songs in one really? episode. Wow. Yeah, I think Get Out and uh, Ugly wow. in the Morning. Uh, guy really? was driving. Guy was driving around, and that was he, he got in the car one time. It was Get Out. He got out. He got back in. It was Ugly in the Morning. Amazing, amazing. And I mean, that's a great question. Like to these songs that you created with your guys in your bubble. Yeah. To be to be watching something on screen that's completely made up in someone else's creative world. Uh, that's gotta be a trip. It's a trip. I, I would say most of it, it's okay. It, it's um, we're so close to these songs. I mean, we as a group, particularly before we record, we kind of go through things pre- in a lot of detail and, and we're kind of ready. We already have most of the th- stuff arranged before we go into record and what that means is that we work it out onto a to a process that gets into really a lot of detail. And by the time the record's done, we kind of let it go. We don't listen to our those records anymore. That they're done, you know. Uh, we kind of live through them. Uh, so when I hear them, I kind of I don't feel that attached a lot of times. I feel like it's somebody else's music a lot of the times. If I've listened to anything, like I, if wow. I be in a club or a bar and our musical one, I will listen for mistakes, like. I will listen to how that snare drum sounds. I get, I get very analytical. Like, did we, did we pull it off or did we fuck that up? (laughs) And I hear things. I mean, it's a curse really. I hear things that nobody hears, you know, and it's a torture in a weird way. If I let myself get tortured, Um, but it's, it's cool. It's, it's nice. I mean, we spent so much time playing this weird music that everybody just kind of ignored that. Uh, I think the fact that we connect with people, whoever it is and wherever it is, is, is always kind of cool something that hooked that person you know and it can be different things because you know like i mean i've heard our music at strip clubs and i've seen it on you know alaska airlines ads (laughs) (laughs) who knows man who knows i I think i think it's cool i think it means it means that it got somewhere so i I like that part uh well that's awesome uh real quick i meant to ask you are i noticed on your website that there is uh, a list of some craft cocktails is that as and I and I'm going to say this from my kind of creative standpoint. I, I the thought of people messing with my 
the, the thought of if I, I put so much thought and, and, and care into the way the stuff I do is structured. And it, when I, when I put it out there, that's the way I want it. And I want you to experience, right. I want you to experience the way I want you to experience. Don't fuck with right. it. Do right. you have, you have those same kind of pro- protective father concerns? I absolutely about- do. I, I struggled okay. over the cocktail thing a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's just not how it was done traditionally though. You know, if you go to Serbia now, there's cocktail bars that mix with rakia. So there's mixology everywhere. So it isn't such a sacrilege. Um, it isn't, it, it, but it was a struggle because you've got to have to kind of stand on your own two feet with the character of the raw materials. Um, but those guys that do some really cool stuff, you know, like, yeah. I mean, the guy that did our cocktails that we have on the website, like, you know, made them at home and they're, they're actually really good and they don't compromise the, the, the unique part of the, of the spirit. I mean, you know, you also have to think about, you know, Rakia isn't really that well known and it is a really unique thing. You guys are realizing now it, it's hard to compare it to other things. It's just kind of its own thing. Um, if you can have a cocktail that brings that unique character, it's offering something new. Right. And I think that that's, that's, it's important. It's a new flavor. It's a new, it's a new perspective. So in, in that case, I think it's okay. As long as you don't just kill the actual raw material, yeah. the, I think the, it's okay. The crappy part is in my head when, when you're describing all this, I'm like, all right. And, and again, I'm saying this as a guy who does not like cocktails. Right. Uh, I, I'm just I like, <laughs> all right. If it's a, if it's a cocktail that captures the essence of the Balkans, I'm down for it. But, right. but if it's if it's freaking Tom Cruise shaking a freaking bottle of Perv out <laughs> I there, I, I don't want I, I don't want any part of it. I know exactly. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, well, Tut, you don't sell the steak, you sell the sizzle. And uh, <laughs> was that McDougal's law or whatever? Something. Uh, well, I'm glad I asked because I was actually uh, since Yak Boy's there at the pub with a a big tap wall a few feet away from, him. I was going to have him try the, the Perva in a boiler maker, but maybe we should just hold off on that one. I, you know, I mean, it's, it's this, is, this is the thing is, this is a, it's a working spirit, you know, it's a people spirit. It's just not anything really that precious. I mean, you could do that, you know, if it doesn't work, don't, don't drink it, don't make it anymore, but yeah. you know, experimentation's fine. You know, it's, this is something, you know, it, it, it's really, it's a, it comes from the farm and it's about improving the quality of life right so if you can find out some way that some trick that you know takes your boxes man do it yeah i'm really like if you want to pour a glass or a can of bud light into this thing if that's your fancy go ahead and do it i mean i was i was going life, to life, life yeah, is right. hard enough without me shitting right. on you doing that so. <laughs> yeah, yeah boy what beer what beer do you have there for the boilermaker i have uh this is a austin brewery 512 this is okay. their Helles Lager, German style lager. Okay. So, hey, that's that may be a little on the malty side. That might actually that sweetness from the Perva and the that might actually. Well, be- you know, typically when someone makes a boiler maker, they usually like you know so they ask for just the worst light beer, and you're like, well, no, I mean, you want yeah. you want it to be you want it to mix. You want something to kind of go both ways. Yeah, and I found that their 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 lager is really good. So I've I figured if I was like if I'm gonna mix it, I'm gonna go with right. something that I think is good. Yeah, boy, I'm I'm giving you the green light. Go ahead and go for it and report back. Okay. <laughs> All right. All, All right. right. All right. So. Hey, I just, All right. Here we. I just had an idea. 
I'm not going to do this because I, I am quite enjoying the purpose is. I could do a Boilermaker with the Deftones Phantom Bride beer. Nice. I think, Bill, that would be considered a collaboration between Bill Gold and the Deftones. It would. <laughs> if yes, I, it would. I think, I think we, I, I'm, this is a strong, strong IPA. I'm not going to go there. Um, and I only have one bottle. I only have one bottle of Perva. I kind of want to <laughs> hold on to it, man. Until until it is easily uh, accessible in Texas, I'm going. Yeah, I'm to... looking. I'm trying to find if there's a distributor. Yeah, where, here. where are you, you at? Know, we, it is not. We're, we're actually working on that right now because that's our next state we're focusing on. I think oh, we'll good. be in Texas in the next six months. That's my prediction. That's kind hey, of where, that's kind of the spot that we really need to hit. Come to Austin. Everybody else is. <laughs> yeah. Don't get him. Don't get him started. Uh, it's well, not the also, Austin there, there, I grew up a... with when I moved here five years ago. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so is it primarily? You know, you know really. Okay, I have an Austin story for you. Can I tell a sure. quick one? Yeah. yeah. So uh, back in we, our first tour, we did we went we went to Texas uh, on the first album we did, 1984, and uh, we stayed at some friends' house. You know, because we were just crashing on people's floors and. Uh, we were coming from San Francisco, you know, it's kind of a hippie city. So there's health food stores and stuff around here. And, you know, so we got to Austin, there was just nothing but fast food. And uh, we got to Austin and there was this really cool health food store. And we're like, oh my God, this is like San Francisco. And we stocked up on vitamins and all this kind of stuff. And um, I saw my friend a couple of years ago and I said, where's that, that health food store is a really good one. And they go, it was Whole Foods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That turned into Whole Foods. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. That was the first Whole Foods. It was just this hippie store. Yeah. Amazing. Anyway. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's I, – I spent a lot of time with family that lived in Austin growing up. And, yeah, I mean, that was the original Whole Foods. That's crazy. And now in quintessential Austin style, it's part of the Bezos empire. Yeah, uh, and it's yeah. this massive complex now, right? This yeah. Is like the, yeah. the big flagship Whole Foods store, like – like the Death Star now, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, let yeah. me let me ask you this because Tut, you kind of brought up film and 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 that world. Um, random question, and and then I want to get a little because that is a third of what we do here. Talk about film. Mm-hmm. Random question I thought of today uh, because I saw their preview that Hulu is, is doing a six part kind of thing on the the origin of the Sex Pistols that's coming out next mm. week, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny Boyle's directing it, and it's but it's 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 like a biopic. Like they're actually got guys, young guys playing Sid and and Steve and and Johnny Rotten, all that. And then they had a huge hit with the Motley Crue thing they did, whatever that was called. Oh, it's um, the same people. Well, I no no totally different okay, people, okay. but but, it, but there's it it seems to be. I, I just started thinking today when I was thinking about talking to you, and I was like, all right. If someone like Netflix with a lot of dough ever got clever and did a biopic about the insane 1992 co-headlining tour of Metallica and Guns N' Roses, which Faith No More opened up for, is that a movie you would be interested in seeing or is it still just too soon and you choose not? And is there a, is there a young actor who you would like to see play a young Bill Gould on film? I think that anything of that period of time that they captured that would be justified for the financing for it, which uh-huh. means what they would think the average person would want to see about that tour, I probably wouldn't want to see. I, I think that um, 
Was it as insane as the the public? It, it wasn't insane, actually. It wasn't insane. It, it could be called insane. I remember like getting ready to walk on stage at some place in Germany, and these were big, big concerts. You know, the biggest tour in the world, I guess, at the time. And yeah. somebody's like, "How does it feel to be part of the biggest tour in the world?" And it, it really didn't feel like it. I mean, there was a lot of security. There was things didn't random things didn't happen on that tour. It, it wasn't like being in the van where. You know, you don't know where you're going to stay that night and all kinds of chaos happens. Like this was very structured. It was very regimented and we didn't see a lot of people. We were spent most of our time in a, an isolated dressing room and it wasn't crazy, actually. Uh, but you can't make a movie about that. Interesting. Right? <laughs> no, no, you can't. Yeah. Can't. Uh, okay. I, I just. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I'm like, yeah, let's make a documentary about an itinerary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean. No, yeah, because it, it no, because cool. you're no, because you're right. Great. Because like, but, and I, I haven't been in near the experience to what what you have or the scale. But there was like when we would actually be part of big tours. You're right. There is a lot of organization that goes on either because of the headliner or whatever to where that there's not that spontaneity or just chaos is a great word of just. Hey, we got to pack up our crap and we got to be in Florida in 30 hours. I mean, right. Okay. I mean, just liability issues alone, random things can't really happen. There's too much money at stake, right? So it's all orderly. Everybody, I mean, you know, I see some guys, you know, backstage at some lawn with some middle aged guys with, you know, bleached hair walking around with a, with, a, with a lemon around their neck and maybe a couple strippers or some girls from Hooters walking around next to them. I mean, I don't know. You know, everybody's to each his own, but that's not exciting to me. You know, it, it was. I like such, I like crazy stuff. It was yeah, and it was such a weird for me, just as a as a, a middle school Faith No More fan. Uh, you know, you guys just really spoke to me, and it's like during that tour, it was just you know you'd watch the highlights from MTV. You know, MTV News with Kurt Loder would come on with the the latest, and it would just be like fuck, just. Okay, Axel did this, you know, whatever. Just, you know, what's Faith No More doing? It's like you guys just went out there and did your jobs and went back to the damn dressing room. Like, it, it was. It, it we was talked weird. about the the sizzle. There was there wasn't you know the how can you how can you kind of do anything to make the news when when Axel's coming on stage after you? Well, he, you know, I mean, those guys treated us really well. We were probably a little more obnoxious than we needed to be but we were also like you know gigs were only three days a week and we'd have four days off with nothing to do we'd probably just drinking and being stupid and um you know after six months of that you start getting a little crazy Mm -hmm. um but at the same time i mean guns and roses were notorious they were going on three hours late every night so you know the crowd got wise they're like we're not gonna show up till three hours that later oh. than it says they're going on. So we would go on stage in this big place and there'd be maybe a couple hundred people because everybody oh. knows they're not going to go on for three hours. And they were always right. They never went on for another three hours. So, mm. you know, it was kind of like, it was like, what the fuck are we doing here sometimes? We were thinking. Yeah. And anybody that had tickets to that and did that, you fucking punks, <laughs> show up for the bands that are there because you never know. You're going to be missing out on some really cool stuff. Always. I mean, it was it was still cool. We did great shows. Also, there were great times. We played some really cool places like Bull Rings in Spain and Portugal. Like there was great stuff. Okay, 
But, you know, six months is a long time when you're, yeah. you know, in your 20s and you're just got like all this energy and you drive yourself crazy. And we drove each other crazy. We're all different people anyway. And we drove each other nuts. So, and maybe that's what the movie would be about. It'd be like kind of like us penned in with each other. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that would probably be the real story. I'm kind of digging that. I don't know I mean, if we could make be. it, yeah. if we, it could also turn into a quasi horror movie. Well, I, I, it, it, that's probably closer to the, yeah. Well, I did read that Slash was very cool with you guys. He uh, was very cool. He was. And he was very I, supportive of us. And I, I would just, uh, for any Faith and More fans tuning in, I would like to squash one of the weirdest rumors in rock and roll history. For the record, Bill, Mike Patton did not shit in Axl Rose's orange juice, correct? He did not. I can <laughs> confirm that. Oh, that look that. on your face almost made me think he did. I was just like, no, oh, he he's, he's going to say he did. He didn't, I'm not saying he didn't do it. I'm just saying he didn't do it to Axl Rose. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, poor, poor Lars. Uh, uh, that's, well, that's awesome. Well, thanks for in, indulging me. And, and uh, boy, that, that really makes me wish I was, I was still making movies because I, I, would, I would have a field day just kind of. Re, uh, reliving that moment in time. Okay, well, let's jump ahead. In yep. 1998, you started your own record, Cool Arrow. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this snippet from your mission statement when you first launched to quote, remember, just because you haven't heard about it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And this is what Cool Arrow Records is all about, bringing light and ears to a diverse range of music previously denied any semblance of mass attention. Well, first of all, that goes directly with Yerakia. It does. Uh, it goes directly with my band, actually, Faith and War, because, you know, we went through 10 years in the wild as well, right? Yeah. But I we mean, didn't it didn't exist. Yeah. This yeah. It seems to be this, this, this kind of drive inside of you that wants to bring really good shit that people don't know about out, out into the light, out into the open. I, it makes life better, I think. I think new shit is, is I mean, I like discovering new things. I like getting turned on to new stuff. That keeps me vital it keeps me from being bitter and and, and cranky and um, yeah so i like to i like to encourage that in you know discovery in in everything and i like to also know hang out with people who would make me discover things too uh absolutely yeah us us as well uh i mean just with you guys talking about cigars actually has got my head going i mean and i'm I'm trying to think about it like coffee well bill in the next in the next few days i'm going to put together a a rakia pairing uh that's awesome Stamp Great. sampler for you, and, and I'm going to take you on a tour. Um, All right. All right. But you know what? When I read that, it's like, hell yeah, that's the kind of music I grab it, gravitate to mm-hmm. with mild apologies to my my wife and daughters who have to drive long distances to me. Very insecure apology, <laughs> by the way. I feel like I'm introducing them to some, some stuff. Uh, you know, I'm educating them. But whenever someone vocalizes, which they have many times uh, to us, when we mention a podcast, because, you know, everyone has, everyone, their uncle has a podcast these days. And it's like, right. well, you know, just cause you haven't heard about us, that, that, that doesn't mean we don't exist. That doesn't mean, right. you know, we're not, it's, it's, it's and you kind never of know a, who you're connecting with actually, you know, there might be a person you're connecting with that you don't even know he exists, but something will come out of that. We actually mm-hmm. had a guy uh, ring us up on social media uh, from Mexico, and I was just like, and and it was one of those things to where he was mentioning stuff to where I'm like, oh my god, you actually listen to us? That is so freaking awesome! Yeah, it, it, it was so damn cool. <laughs> it's great though. I know it's it, just a small, small, small thing, but I was just like, we're in fucking Mexico. Hell yeah! He was, yeah, no, he was a chef 
he was a chef at some really kind of swanky hotel there. That's and he so said awesome. he listens to us all the time on his, he had a long drive to work and he's like, cause we do like a three hour show. He's like, that's perfect for me. Uh, I can get through like wow. a show, a show every two, three days. Amazing. Amazing. But he's like, but he's like, you know, it's been really fun hearing you guys one uh, with your pairings, but then it's also been really fun for me down here in Mexico to try to track down some of the, not only the cigars, but the beers you guys, because I guess the craft market, beer market in Mexico has exploded. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's right. And they're able to get all this great craft beer from the States. Super and cool. so to, to hear that, you know, like you said, a stranger from Mexico is driving around to work, listening to us and taking notes. It's like, yep. all right, I'm not throwing in the towel tomorrow. I'll, I'll get a couple. Yeah. I'll keep it's cool. This is the kind of things that really make it worth it when you realize you're actually connected to something and that will take it somewhere else. Like this guy will do something with what he learned from you. You know, it's great. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's the creative process, especially Bill, you know, from you, uh, in, in my, and you don't have to respond to this, but in my, in my opinion, you were always from, from everything I know, kind of the, the beating heart of the band to where, when no one else, you were kind of holding everything together at several points in the band's career and you know when you're especially when you're involved in the production of the albums and you're you're battling creatively um all these opinions and things aren't working out it's like to know that when that album comes out six months later that there's some punk kid like me in texas who it it completely pulls them out of a dark place and it's like you don't know that now now it's a lot easier with social media but yep. to know that you bashing your head against the the mixing board resulted in you know this right. piece, this piece of art that really changed this kid's life. I mean that's huge. Absolutely, it's huge. It's it's everything. You know? Yeah, it, it really, really is. is. Yeah. Um. Well, a good portion of the films we choose to discuss here on the show are movies that haven't had a light shined on them okay. much or ever. So. Uh, we we do a, a kind of a lot of obscure films. Um, I was getting back to Cool Arrow. Uh, you released The Talking Book in 2010. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a free plug here, Bill. Uh, All right, cool. The Talking Book, it is an amazing project. Uh, it's a collaboration uh, between you and Jared Blum. Yep. Uh, he he also, lives in he, Austin, by the way. Mm-hmm. He's awesome. Oh, does he? Yeah, yeah. Oh shit. Okay. Uh, he he does under the blanket chip. Uh, exactly. The name of the moniker. Uh, but basically, I I'm gonna go back to your words because you you have a way with them. Um, reclaimed from a graveyard of vinyl, the talking book is a collection of oxidized oral snapshots buried between the gloom and the gorgeous. Um, it has everything. It has piano. It has guitar. Um, it has what sounds to me, I'm not a musician, just like some very primitive um, percussion and, and instruments. Mm-hmm. And um, God, it, it was such a unique album when it came out. And at, at the time, it was your first music produced in 13 years. Yeah, actually, that's true. Right. Um, and it was a fucking doozy. I, I mean, it blew me away. I've, I've, I've just listened to the hell out of it. What was the inspiration for the talking book? Um, 
well, Jared, who who I knew, uh, I met, I knew him in San Francisco, and he has a label called Gigante Sound, which is a lot of experimental stuff. And he had this thing called Blanket Ship, and I got to know him over the years. And he'd come into my studio sometimes. We'd go through mixes to see if anything needed correction and stuff like that, and collaborate. It got to a certain point where we got to know each other really well. And it's like, what would we get if we did something together? And he comes from a world that's really different from mine with composition. He's really an abstract. He's a brilliant abstract composer where I'm a, I'm a linear kind of writer. I, I've always been in bands, you know, and, and learning verses and choruses and, and thinking of structures and architecture of songs. And, and, and he's really different from that. So is really putting two completely opposite worlds together, but we, we had the same taste in music. So we had something, we knew when something was good, we both kind of felt it. So it was enough to think that we could get something cool out of it. And that's kind of what came out of it. Uh, so well, that's what it is. Well, and it got even better. Ten years later, we got the Talking Book Two, which was so bleak and yet so damn beautiful. Um, I I can't recommend it enough. Both cool. talk both Talking Book albums they fall into this weird genre of music that I kind of invented that I call uh, soundtracks to movies that haven't been filmed yet. It's, That's actually what we call it. Too. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, the soundtracks to films that don't exist. That's what they're. They're visual, That's, visual music. That's and right. and and um, the talking books are a prime ex- example of that. Uh, John Carpenter, one of my favorite filmmakers and composers, he he's been putting out a series of called Lost Theme albums, which are basically soundtracks to movies he never got to make. Uh, Very cool. Once Very the studio cool. kind of got got tired of dealing with them and he's too old to make movies, he's like, well, I'm going to just make them. I, right? can still make, I can still make the soundtracks to the mu- the movies in my head. Super and cool. And they're really incredible soundtracks. Uh, and then your, your singer, uh, Mike Patton, he did a, an album with Kata called Romances. Right. Which, which was the exact same thing. I'm listening to it. I'm like, this is a score. This is, mm-hmm. I can close my right. eyes and, and come up with my own story, you know, and projected against my eyelids listening to this album. So I, I can't recommend uh, the talking books enough. Uh, if Alejandro- cool. I'm glad. Yeah, you know, you, that, now you are one of those people that it connected with that I never would have known about because, you know, we put the stuff out and it's like, who's going to buy this stuff? You know, really, there's no, you can't market this. It doesn't, you know, you go into iTunes and you have to say what category it is. It doesn't really even fit into anything. Uh, so it's kind of like has to be discovered by accident almost. Uh, and you found it. So there you go. And this is where it's great. Yeah, I didn't it's... expect to be talking about talking book on this podcast. That's I just like you, I, I like to shine a light on stuff that, that, that makes me happy. And, uh, cool. I think and yeah, awesome. it, they almost have like a Alejandro Jodorowsky, like a Holy Mountain, El Topo kind of uh, yeah. vibe to them, but something else. There's, a, but it's more modern than that. At the same time, it's kind of timeless. Uh, yeah, everyone, just just go, just go buy them. I mean, it's 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 kind we of. We just incredible. finished. We just scored a, a soundtrack for a film that's just coming out right yes, now. That's what I. So that we've was never my done it with visuals before. Yeah, we did. Uh, it came out. It's only been shown once publicly, and that was about two weeks ago at the Copenhagen Film Festival, and the film uh, won the main prize, which is pretty amazing. This is the, um, the Eclipse, it's correct? It's called The Eclipse. That's right. Uh, it's, um, it's by a Serbian director who um, just kind of goes into her family history, and it's, it's our music and her film, they really, it was, 
when Jared and I were working on it, we were like, man, this this is the perfect film for our music. And she was saying the same thing, like this is this music is exactly perfect for my film. So it was really a great it was a great experience. Well, I had no idea you were up to it, and then I I came across uh, a review, and when they they referenced your soundtrack, they uh, they name dropped uh, William Basinski's The Disintegration Tapes mm-hmm. as as mm-hmm. a kind of a point I know, of right. amazing, right? How about that? And that's a piece of music that I since forever have just been oddly kind of. It put, really? it, it's one of those things I go to in a certain mood Ooh. and just kind of, so when I, he's amazing. He's amazing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And when I was, so when I saw her cross reference, I was like, Holy shit, I got to get it. Will cool arrow be released in the soundtrack by chance or that's we have Jared and I have talked about it. I hope, I hope we release it. Yeah. We have the music, so we should, we should do it. We haven't gotten the physical part of getting it together yet, but yeah, I hope so. Okay. Okay. Um, well, let me real quick. Oh, and by the way, guys, the uh, Pappy Van Winkle with yeah. the Perva home run. I kind of thought it would be. I kind of thought it would be. Here's the funny thing. It doesn't pair well with bourbon. No, no, it, no. Really? <laughs> no. Trippy. It is such an odd cigar. You the can't... Oddest, when I said it was divisive, that is an understatement. Like people wow. loathe, loathe this cigar uh, because of that fire cure to tobacco and it just has that a real smokiness it's aggressive uh, it's super aggressive but that first sip really that on the on the front end of the perva really kind of tells the cigar who's boss and then it's like the back end it's it's all perva it, like it kind of mellows out the rest of the body of the cigar it's yeah boys you can finally get these out of your humidors that have been buried in there for years and oh. Oh man, yeah. see, that is so that is so funny got because drawer just sitting there, like, what am I going to do with this? Bill, that, is so, that is so funny because like I would have never thought to make that pairing, but the moment you said, "Hey, I'm thinking about the Pappy Van Winkle," I'm like, "Oh my god, that that absolutely fits with taking an aggressive cigar and matching it with this." And I, yeah, I'm going to try it. I. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you one of these cigars, Bill, but I'll label it awesome. like very very obviously like this one is is <laughs> special. But no, the, the thing right. is, the thing is, Bill, we would tour uh, before uh, COVID hit. We would tour every year all the five major tobacco growing regions: Amazing. Uh, Pennsylvania, Florida, Wow, Louisiana, Kentucky, um, and uh, I'm forgetting one. Oh, uh, Connecticut. And but basically, when we would go down to the Louisiana, where they would actually ferment uh, this tobacco, we would get just an inordinate amount of sand. They would be handing out these cigars like crazy. So we'd come home with just these bags of. Wow. And it, it's a pricey cigar. It's it, it has yeah. you know it's got the pappy name on it, which is the yeah. Uh, and we just couldn't find a, a a good a good way to enjoy these things. And God damn it. Tonight's All tonight. right. That's cool. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, real, uh, real quick, the, the third portion of our show uh, is film. Mm-hmm. And we're talking a lot of rock and roll tonight with Billy and our music theme cigar. So I selected for our discussion uh, here in a little bit, 1987's Rock and Roll Nightmare, starring the one and only John Micklethor. You guys remember that Canadian bodybuilder slash rocker they made a documentary on him a few years ago that was the, the guy's a, a very interesting character uh and i i thought that this movie could complete our pairing trifecta with the music theme but get this there's also another little side thing 
The movie centers on a metal band whose manager, keep in mind, is 87, packs them in a van and drives them to a remote Canadian farmhouse in the middle of nowhere to rehearse for an upcoming tour with demonic, really cheesy, but at least they're real puppet monster effects. No CGI here. Uh, and when I was watching it, Billy, it, and I knew we were going to be having you on the show, it kind of reminded me of when you guys went up to Woodstock, New York to record uh, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime. Mm-hmm. You guys had always been based in California, mm-hmm. recording in California. Mm-hmm. And it's like you guys, just like this terrible band in this movie, you guys went up to this, you know, I think your your barn studio was probably a lot nicer than what we <laughs> see in this in this movie. But uh, but yeah, you spent, what, a couple months up kind of yeah. in upstate New York recording that album. I think you actually described it as sensor, a form of sensory deprivation. Uh, it, the, the, our characters don't, don't live long enough to, uh, really get, go, go at each other. Was it, was that being kind of secluded up there with your bandmates? Was that, I mean, it made a hell of an album, but was it, uh, not being able to go home at night? Was it, what was that experience like? It was a good thing, but you know, uh, after a couple of months, I mean, when you're there, you're kind of working or you're, you know. There's not a lot out there. There was a little town in Woodstock where there's a couple little restaurants and, and a bar, but you know, for two months you can't keep going to the same places all the time. I mean, there's a certain point where you just you've got to make your entertainment, um, or you're going to work. And so we worked a lot. Um, and Andy Wallace, we just started working with him. He's really an interesting guy. He's a very focused guy. Where he would be up till working up to like three, four in the morning, you know, just comping vocals and just working on by himself, like there was always sound. There was always something going on. Um, yeah, it was, it was really, I got a pneumonia. So I was down for a week and I was still there in the, in the farmhouse. Totally sick. This guy's got in a really bad car accident. Nobody got hurt, but it was, it shook everybody up really bad. It was just a kind of a whole, it was a whole experience really. And, and the result is kind of one of your most, I think the most eclectic, wide-ranging albums that you guys did um it's very it's very different than the others that's for sure yeah um it was it was perceived when we delivered it we were very happy we were super proud of it because it was something different and but it was we liked it you know and uh we gave it to warner brothers and they just they weren't getting it at all and this was like i mean what we were getting back was why are you guys doing this (laughs) that was kind of the feedback we got like okay what right. is it about and, and what the media just killed us? I mean, all the reviews were horrible. And so it's like, but we felt pretty good about it. And I think it did bear itself out in time. You know, we, I think oh, yeah. we came out of it definitely on the right side, but it was, it was weird. We, we, you know, we kind of were like, you know, we think we're doing the right thing. Yeah. I, I'm envisioning that conversation with the executives. Like, what is it about Cuckoo for Kaka that you have an issue with? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing is like, you know, when you get some of this, uh, you know, you know, like that song, you know, it, nobody's going to nobody that's, that's selling our record is going to get that song. And, you know, Cuckoo for Kaka was kind of like just, well, they're not going to get it. Let's turn up the volume a little bit. Let's uh, really make him not get it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Double yeah. down. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Billy, if you will, before we cut you loose. Uh, if you will indulge me just for a minute, I don't know when I'll have this opportunity again. Um, I've come up with a list of five songs spanning uh, Fate No More's lengthy disc- discography. 
And while perhaps they aren't the most radio-friendly or popular tunes in your catalog as far as the masses are concerned, they all mean something very special to me in that they all, in their own unique way, transport me to a very special place. So I was wondering if I could give you a track name, and if you don't mind, maybe tell us something about it we don't know, or just tell us what kind of comes yeah. comes to your head when Absolutely. I when I throw it out there. Uh, and it's okay to say, I fucking hate that song, and <laughs> I'll move on, I promise. Okay. Uh, and, and, and this was tough for me, but I, I kind of wanted to go from the early days to, to recent, so I, ha- I had to narrow it down. Number one, as the worm turns. Worm turns, worm turns. Uh, you know, I think of that one as something that one of the first songs we ever wrote uh, in this dingy little rehearsal room in San Francisco that just came together. I think it came, it started with the keyboards, uh, just the, the, the line. And we, we probably wrote the whole song like that one rehearsal, I think. Oh, wow. It just came real easy. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Roddy, very Roddy, early, early, probably the first three songs we ever wrote ever as a, as a oh, wow. Every time I hear Roddy's intro and then that bass comes in and mm-hmm. there's a um, because I'm I'm a hermit and I, I, I don't uh, like to get out too much. I watch a lot of live performances on the YouTubes, as the kids say. There's mm-hmm. a show you guys did. I think it was 2014 ish, maybe at Amoeba Records. Mm where you guys did a, a, a version of as a worm turns you had the gimp there up on stage with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, for some reason, whenever you guys play that, you guys just look really happy. Um, yeah, it's a, it, that song holds up. We never got tired of playing it. It's very, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, in your punching bag, you know, just relentless. Like for me, yeah. it's all down picking for, you know, three and a half minutes, but there's something about it. When you get in the groove of it, it feels really good. We never got tired of that one. We never say, oh, let's not play that one tonight. Unless it's like 150 degrees inside, you know, then we might say that. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, the real thing. My favorite song, I'm just going to say it, my favorite song of all time. Really? Wow. Uh, you know that, um, I would say of all the songs we did, um, it, it's a very, in some ways, very conventional song. But I think there's also one of the songs where, where I really like what Mike, Patton did with it because he kind of stepped out of his character and he actually was himself in that song. And uh, I, to of, me, that 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 was a, it was remarkable in a good way. Out of all the the real thing tracks, I think I think that's where because I you know I know the music was written before Mike joined the band, right? And you know, as, as a fan, you listen to the music separate and you're like, you know, kind of seeing where what, where Mike went with it with the lyrics and his. Mm-hmm. his approach to all these songs, but you're right. The real thing was really different than uh, the other songs. And it just, it just seemed almost kind of vulnerable. And, and yes, and I, exactly. There's, there's not a lot of irony in that one. Exactly. No, exactly. no there's yeah. not. And it, it just grabbed me. And uh, okay. Okay. Um, man, angel dust was hard. Cause I, I just love that fucking album so much. Uh, these guys will shake their heads. They're sick of me talking about it. Uh, but I went with everything's no, real. Dude, go on. I, you, you, no, no. I, I mean, just to interject, you talk the real thing. I mean, going back all that ways for me, that the real thing was the first CD I ever owned. Oh my god! No wow. shit. Wow. Yes. I mean, when wow, it was came out, time. I was I was literally, you know, everyone was talking. Oh, you got to get a CD player. So I was like, you know. I saved up my money. I, 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 I mowed the neighbor's lawns for months and months and got a wow. CD player and a little stereo. And I was like, went out to the record store 
And I'm, you know, there's a look. And at the time it was that it was a tiny little section. You still yeah. had, you know, that. And I was like, and they were in the long boxes. Looking, right. And I was looking at all of them and I was like, and I, I, I saw the cover out the art and I was like, I know this. And I was like, you know, yeah, they had all the standard stuff and all the, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with it. I still have it. I still have Amazing. XAD. Good man. Yeah, boy. I, I can't believe I didn't know that story. Bill, uh, I, I went with everything's ruined because it, it does, mm-hmm. it does take me to a really cool place. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not one that you guys kind of revisit live a lot from uh, where I stand, but it, we started again. Actually, the last couple of years, uh, we started playing it again and we started liking it again. Uh, that song was a bit of a bitch. It had a couple of good parts that we couldn't find a way to shoehorn together for a couple of years. Like we just couldn't find a way to, and we finally got it. And the way we recorded it, I think that we found a way to play it better when we got back together again, like in, in the mid, you know, five years ago, I guess. Um, we started liking it better. We just started playing it better. I don't know if we relaxed a little bit, but the way it was played on the record was a little stiff to me. And um, but now I think we like it, and, and we do play it. We, we and if we play again, we will play it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I will say to that point real quick, just um, and I and I think a lot of Faith and More diehards will, will will agree with me on this. It seems like a lot of stuff uh, from the Angel Dust era and and the real thing. It seems like John's guitar playing, I, I, as a fan, feel he's my favorite guitar player. Oh, really? Um, wow. And, and there's a lot of others that feel that way, too. I, mm-hmm. Because I, I think not only does he make very subtle kind of tributes to the, the right. guitar players that that came on the other albums and their little touches, but he has a way of just slaying every song in his own and, and and the guy just stands there stoically kicking ass <laughs> and just it's like he'll put his own tiny little thing on there. But it's like it's like, man, I I, I just I ever since John's taken on, I'm just like, I feel like he's just this great uh, as far as delivering your your mm-hmm. you know, discography. I, I think he just the guy's just awesome. Well, his his brilliance is he has he's. All the guitar players, I mean, Trey was also very technical. Jim was kind of, he was a kind of force of nature. Yeah. Um, in, in, in a good way, actually. Yeah. But John is like, um, he really sees the whole. He sees where he fits into the whole and he respects the whole thing, you know? And that's not always easy to find in a guitar player who actually knows what he's doing to, 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 to always, to step back and see where he fits in, you know? And, and when not to play, and, and, and it's that's an amazing thing. It's a great thing. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, all right, album, we'll move on to album of the year. I, I was going to go with Ashes to Ashes, but then I stopped. I thought that might be a little too obvious. So I went with Pristina. Okay. Um, as a fan who kind of at that point, and this is without the internet. This is all stuff I'm right. getting from... Kerrang magazine and right. Cir- you know, Rip and Circus. I, I kind of got the it, well. I guess it was in the early days of fan boards and 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 uh, and kind of internet, mm-hmm. not Facebook, but you know social gatherings of stuff. As a fan who had the growing sense that album of the year might be your, your last, right? 
when I raced home with the CD and I heard Pristina as the closing track, my immediately thought, my immediate thought was, one, this album's incredible, and perhaps y'all composed your own funeral song by ending it with Pristina. Uh, to this day, it's one of the most musically moving songs. Like I hear it, and there's there's a Seinfeld where this guy hears Desperado by the Eagles, and he just stops. And he goes into his own little world. You can't talk to him. You can't like everybody wonders what's wrong with him. And he's like, shut up. Just wait till Desperado's over. That's honestly when it, when I hear Pristina, not that I'm here in the car a lot, but it, it just it makes me it, the music makes me sad. And I huh? think I equate I think I equate it with it being the last track on the last album at the time. Did you was there any even subconscious intention of that being the case with that song? I, I would go so far as to say your impression is exactly the consciousness that went into it. We we knew we were going and we planned our own funeral and that's exactly what that was. And oh. I've never heard anybody getting it before. So good on you. That's exactly oh, wow. what it was. Yeah. Okay. And the, the Pristina in, in particular and the name of it was because of that time when I drove through, I was taking the car to Albania uh, we drove through Kosovo and the war hadn't happened yet, but it was, it was a tough situation. And uh, we turned this corner in our car and there's these tanks looking at us and um, got, got our stuff out of the car and, you know, like searched us. It was so tense. Like I was afraid to get out of the car all the way driving through the whole country. It was like, man, something bad is going to happen here. And uh, wow. Nobody knew about it. Nobody even knew this place existed. You know, it was never in the news before. And that's why I gave it the name of the song. It's like, I'm just going to put that name out there because it's just like, it's like something, it's like, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody sees it, uh, it didn't happen. But I saw the tree falling in the woods, you know? And so you had to tell somebody about it, right? So that was kind of the deal. But it also was in the point we were kind of, you know, at the end of our rope at the time and, and, you know, it all, I mean, we're talking music is, is an abstract thing and a lot of its feelings and you can't just explain everything away, but it all fit together for me. Uh, it, well, obviously it certainly did to me too. So, oh, yeah. so, so that was actually about pristine. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. It, it's so weird how different moments of time and different experiences happen because it sounds very melodic or very melancholic to hear Kate describe it. But like my experience in pristine was the exact opposite. It was, and it was, it's really this weird irony is that I was there right after the war. Uh, right. So I, we were there part of right. second, part of the second wave uh, K4 operation. Right. And it was a UN base. And so it was the first time I'd ever been out of country, but I am at this playing this UN base where there's like all these nationalities there and one of the benefit with having or playing for a very attractive female player is that all the soldiers would gather around mm-hmm. and we would have like on some nights Spanish soldiers just jumping the stage to sing La Bamba of all things. <laughs> and then on the other hand, you would have like this six, seven Germans, West German soldier just, you know, ripping his patch off and giving it to us. And it was just this so emotional kind of cool time for me. And then like to hear how it, it was very melancholic. Before, I mean, of course, going before into the into the 
crisis. I mean, it's just it's just really weird how that happens. I, I'm sorry. This is the uh, this this is this talking now. Sorry. The perfect. No, to, to, to be honest, though, the perfect you know, is getting kicking in. Everything is complex. Every place is complex. You know, there's different sides to every place. You know, your New York and my New York might be completely different things, even on the same street corner. Yeah. Uh, and they're not, and no one is less or more powerful than the other. You know, it's just, it's just the lens that you're looking through it. And it, just at that time, that was the only lens because there was nobody going there. I yeah, mean, that's yeah. just what it was, you know? No, that's why, I, that's why I wish you all, all the success in the world with, with bringing light to it because, my experience there was even in wartime, it was just warm people. It was a warm society. And I love the fact that you're highlighting it. As a matter of fact, I think the old woman on the bottle is the absolute perfect representation of it. Well, let me That's real quick cool. jump in with this real quick. The The original movie I chose for tonight was a 1987 uh, horror, very underseen horror film called Beyond the Door 3. Uh, keep in mind, there was no Beyond the Door 2, and it was not related at all to Beyond the Door, which came out in the 70s. But it was about this this uh, group of American high schoolers who got sent over to Serbia on a train, and they're traveling through Serbia by train. And basically, they get dumped off. It was a wicker man type deal where the local Serbian farmers trapped them in this uh, for sacrifice for their crops. But it you're, every, you're right, Tut. Every uh, woman was portrayed as the woman on the bottle, but they were evil. They were, you know, they had spears and were jabbing the, the Americans as they burned. It, 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 it made me never want to go to Serbia. Well, well, unfortunately, even though that I say that that's, that's iconic looking, that, that's not how they all are, man. It, it's, well, it's it was, it, it was in this. It was in this movie. It's uh, funny growing up as you know, East Texan boy in the eighties. That's you know, the Eastern Balkans was like that's that's how you think of them, that old lady. And so when they were like, country, "Hey, you're, exactly. you're going to the you're going to Europe," and I'm like, "Yes, Eastern Europe, no." <laughs> but when we got there, I mean, Sarajevo had some beautiful women, and they were all oh, yeah. just really, really nice. It was yeah, it's really nice. they're they're not all really just. Nice hardcore craft of course not of course not no okay, but, well, but you know but there's also there's a wildness you know there's a there's an independence and wildness of for example this part of the world you know is under turkish domination for 500 years right and they were they're you know serbians just using them as an example like you use croatians or bosnians but i'm using serbians you know they're, they're an orthodox country um and they hang on to it they were they hung on to it by like fighting they were kind of like you know Ukrainians to the, you know, to against the Russians where they were the smaller power that had to, you know, stick up for themselves and they went through a lot of shit. And, you know, when you go through that for many generations, I mean, that gets into your character. Uh, it gets into what you get, the values that get passed down. And, you know, these old ladies in the hills, there's a gothicness about them and there is a, they're tough, man. They are tough. Like, and they talk shit. They swear and they like, uh-huh. you know, there's a, there's a certain, you know, I wouldn't want to be on their bad side, you know, and, and, and I love that part of the world. I love going out there, but you know, it's, it's serious stuff there. They're hard people, man. Yeah. Uh, well, you were uh, representing them, them well. Oh, I almost one before I let you go, we got one last song from soul Victus. Uh, you guys to everyone's surprise came out with a new album for us. And um, it's, just uh it's a faith no more album which is all all we wanted and 
this one was also tough. I almost went with Matador, but I decided to pick your brain about Sunny Side Up because it's a perfect example of a Faith No More song. I didn't know how bad I needed until I heard it. <laughs> and That's, I like that one. We all like that one. Uh, but a lot of people have told me that I hate that fucking song. And I oh, I love that. It. Every time that goes on the record, I skip that one. I love that fucking okay. song. Okay, cool. Great. Uh, Great. You you guys did it. Uh, you guys did a BBC sessions. Um, yes, those were great. That was fantastic. I, you is, know that. I hope we can release that. Actually. Oh my god, I hope I would so. Like to remix that and release it because you know the, the difference. That album, I like it. We let the album go. We like what we did. But you know, it isn't like we played it every night. And when we recorded that BBC, we'd been touring it for a couple months. And when you really, when you play live, is when you really get to know some some music and. We just did that. That's all first take stuff, you know, maybe we did two takes of, of each song. And, um, but there's a confidence that we had because we knew that music so well. Yeah. That, that rendition uh, of Sunny Side Out, you know, Mike's in the booth and, and, yeah. and you guys are there in the awesome acoustics of that BBC studio and Sunny Side Up just shit, man. It's just so different. And, and so even cool. in Soul Invictus, it's, it's just its own little, uh, you know, oddity. It is. It's definitely the redheaded stepchild of that record. Yeah, sure. and I, I always yeah. kind of, I always kind of gravitate towards those. So uh, I'm glad, I'm cool. glad, I'm glad you guys dig that. Okay, and I would love to see the BBC re- uh, recordings released. Um, yes, you because, know, it'd be really cool. Like immersive audio with that recording would be badass. That would be so cool. All right. Well, we, we we kind of talked about it a little bit, man. I hope we can do it. Okay. Uh, well, we'll stay tuned for that. Uh, well, Bill, I certainly hope that. Uh, oh, real quick, Cody, did you try the Boilermaker? I did not. I did. He, you know, okay. I, I, I wasn't <laughs> going to do it. I, I, I won't lie. I just wanted to keep drinking it because okay. if, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get any in my area anytime soon. That's okay. Well, you guys, let's stay in touch because we are going to get into Texas this year, and I'll definitely let you know. Okay, it's oh, coming. Please. It's definitely Dude, coming. I, okay. okay, cool. Uh, Yak boy, you got to get this on the shelf at the pub, my friend. Start, uh, start yeah. preaching, preaching to the masses. I, I will absolutely. This is uh, something. Uh, I mean, there's so many different things. I want to. I mean, we we try to put you know different things out for you know, but it's not something. It, if I can't get it in, or I can't get it on a regular basis, it's hard um, to do. Exactly. Well, exactly. Exactly. Well, na- na- next time we do one of our official Tuesday night cigar nights at the pub with, with some of the general public around, maybe instead of the tray of scotch, we'll bring out a tray of Pervin and uh, open some eyes. Um, Why not? Absolutely. I'd be down with that. I'd be down I would with absolutely. That. Well, Bill, I certainly hope that opportunities continue to open for you in the world of film composing because we always need new music from you and whatever capacity we can get it. I wish you nothing but major success with Yebega. Yebiga. 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 Exactly. I get so much shit for the way I pronounce cigar names and like, uh, <laughs> oh God. Uh, it, it's an incredibly unique beverage with a great taste and a fascinating cultural story behind it. And we can attest, obviously, that it pairs really interestingly with the premium cigar. So we will uh, sing its praises on that front to all who listen to us. If you own a cigar lounge, uh, order some bottles. Immediately, your clientele will thank you for introducing them to something new and special. I'm officially announcing, I just decided that Tuesday Night Cigar Club is going to be the unofficial ambassadors 
if we're at a blending seminar, if we're going to cigar festival, look for us. We'll have a bottle. We've been known to be very generous pours. Uh, and let's, let's, yeah, let's start spreading the gospel. Um, it's, it, this would have been a very awkward two hours, Billy, if we didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> very good point. <laughs> I, I did have that fear uh, until I took the first sip and I'm like, we're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, and I also hope that, you know, Faith No More can perhaps reunite on stage sometime in the in the future to give the world what it really needs now more than ever, which is some more fucking Faith No More. A band that my life would look very differently today without your music in it all these years. Uh, you personally got me through a lot of difficult times, and I, I can't thank you enough for that, Bill. Um, thank you. It, it's all that hard work and all that passion. Uh, it reaches people. And if you never hear from them, they're still out there. I'm, I'm um, happy to hear that. And uh, it's a true testament to what good music can do. Uh, I really believe that. Uh, so I hope to see you stationed to the left of Puffy sometime in the future. It, um, nothing, nothing gets me going, uh, like seeing you guys do your thing. Earlier, I, I mentioned my wife wouldn't let me wear the, the, the Faith and More shirt. Yeah. I've got that Guinness Faith and More poster framed up in our bedroom. She let me put that up because it was nice and artsy and autographed and all that. And uh, when I told her you were coming on the show, she's like, you realize we have a poster with his autograph in our bedroom. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, you realize when we first met and you took me to your house, you had a poster of Billy Gould on your wall wearing his underpants. And I was like, what? And she was like, think about it. And she's like, you know, I, I've done quite a bit of drinking over the years. And that was a long time ago. And then I was like, oh my God. You guys did this hilarious promotional poster where I guess they told you guys to wear stripped down to your boxers. And, I know that one. And sure enough, she's like, that shows you how much I liked you. That I. <laughs> she's like, it was, it was literally right over your bed. And, you know, we were kids, but you, you had this, this band that not a lot of other kids in our little Texas town were into in their oh, fucking underpants. So up on your wall. And I was like, oh hey, it's God. come full circle. Everything, everything comes full circle. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, as, as a Faith No More fan, tonight could have been really overly surreal for me in a lot of ways. But you know what? I feel like it was a fun, thoughtful, and uh, educational talk. And I just, I, I just, I'm really honored to have you here. And I, I really, thanks for taking the time. But I, I feel like I learned a lot tonight. Well, I like what you guys are doing too. And, I, and you should definitely just stay in touch, you know? Uh, absolutely. And like I said, I'm going to do my best to, to bring our world and uh, introduce you to our world a little bit and what it, and what it can good. do with Perva. And uh, I'll wrap things up with this, Billy. You said in an interview once, the worst thing you can do in any creative pursuit is play it safe. And you've proven time and time again that amazing things can result from not playing it safe. Um, you and your Faith and More bandmates at the height of success could never really understand what it was that people liked about you. So you just made a mutual decision to do whatever the fuck you wanted. And that approach has just been kind of what I've lived my whole life by. And I've done, that's the approach we take here in the corner. No hope for our little thing. Fuck the rules, my friend, fuck the rules and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Billy, for your time tonight, for everything. It's been an honor. And if you're touring or visiting Texas at any point, please let us know. 
Uh, we have a lot of really cool lounges that we can bring Great. a bottle into and just cool. uh, get to meet in person. I, w- I-, I would love it. We'd have a blast. So awesome. uh, take care. Have a great night. And uh, just thank you again. Pleasure meeting all you guys. Thanks, Billy. Till the next time. Okay, take care. Till next time. All right. Well, how about that? That was fun, eh, boys? It was. It was indeed. Um, man, that was an education. Uh, that was awesome. Well, we burned through our featured cigar while talking to Billy, but speaking of cigars, you know who makes some damn fine ones, Ty? Who's that? Oh, you know who I'm talking about. Our friends at Drew Estate. That's right. Our good friends at Drew Estate. And they have a new stick out right now that y'all will definitely want to get your hands on. Introduced during Freestyle Live Special Edition, the 20-acre farm by Drew Estate is a complex and medium-bodied cigar with super oaky and cedary notes. Accompanied by a whisper of white pepper and bright hints of citrus. 20 Acre Farm is built using a velvety Ecuadorian Connecticut shade-grown wrapper, a sun-grown Habano binder, and filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa, blended with the opulent and majestic Florida sun-grown leaf, which is humbly and lovingly grown one harvest at a time by Jeff Borshowitz on a pristine 20-acre plot of land near the central Florida town of Claremont. Uh, go seek those out. I think you might enjoy them. And I'd also like to take a moment while we're here to talk about something very cool, Cigar World. Cigar World is an online site for cigar smokers. There you can get cigar news, reviews, and a whole lot more. Also on the site is a cigar research panel called the Testing Lab. Doctor, you like testing labs? Indeed I do. Test tubes. Uh, anything in a laboratory kind of gets your, gets your motor running. Uh, You can sign up to give your input on new cigars by taking surveys and testing cigars. Check it all out at cigarworld.com forward slash testing lab. And you might even run into the TNCC doctor there doing some of his mad, crazy experiments. Never can. Well, hey, since we smoked uh, our crowned heads, Eddie Van Halen cigar while talking to Bill. um, Boy, earth, leather. Uh, a peppery retrohale, not a lot of transitions or complexity, but a, a really nice, straightforward cigar. Um, and it, it really did pair well with with uh, the Rakia. Yeah, it really, really did. Uh, but we still got a movie to talk about, boys. So yeah. let's we're going to smoke another one. Uh, let me introduce our second cigar of the night. It is the Guardian of the Farm Celestion Apollo. By Warped Cigars. We talked a lot with Billy about farms. And uh, the movie tonight takes place on a, in a farmhouse out in the country. So why not do The Guardian of the Farm? Look how that worked out. Uh, it is a 6 by 44 uh, Nicaraguan Puro. Uh, the wrapper is Aganorsa Leaf Corojo 99. And then the binder and filler are also uh, from Aganorsa's crops. I'll save price point for last. Uh, Developed as a collaboration between avid dog lovers Max Fernandez and Kyle Gellis of Warp Cigars, the Guardian of the Farm Apollo Selecion de Warped was crafted in honor of the American bulldogs that guard the Casa Fernandez factory and fields in Nicaragua. And each Vitola is named after one of the canine protectors. This guy's named after the dog Apollo. I acquired these suckers way back in January of 2019, so they're they're probably ready to be smoked. 
Um, it, it, it's time. We've been holding on to these for a while. So, um, boy, cedar and milk chocolate on the on the wrapper. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, really nice smelling cigar. Is that a closed foot? I can't tell in my lighting. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, uh, so kind of closed... quarter closed. Um, mine is all the well. It's... I can't tell. Um, all right. uh, mine. I got like a little patch that isn't, but it's like almost like ninety yeah. percent. So yeah. Okay. Um, and then of course, uh, we're almost all out of the Perva. I am all out. That's why I'm kind of, I'm kind of dragging today. I'll tell you right now, I'm kind of dragging because I, I hit it up during that interview, and you know it was just woo wee. Yeah, I, I, I drank quite a bit uh, plum brandy last night or earlier in the show, and uh, that's how, that's how crazy things got. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, I, I think we've all switched to our our. Beloved craft beers um, tonight. Uh, as we light up, uh, Yak Boy, did you have time? Do you got any kind of uh, intel on these beers we're drinking? I have some intel, yes. Oh, uh, look at you coming through in the clutch. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Go ahead. Because uh, we're recording this episode on 420, um, I went ahead and decided. Why not? I've enjoyed these enjoy by beers quite a bit from Stone. And uh, this is their enjoy by 420-22. So I have to drink all these tonight because they'll be bad tomorrow. Correct. Uh, what, tell me a little bit about this beer, Yax. Uh, it is a hazy IPA. A little bit of a powerhouse, 9%. Uh, 50 IBUs. Does it taste like 50 IBUs? Higher. I'd, I'd put it high 60s. Mm. Well, it's good. To, of course, you know, Stone, they actually do a version of this uh, pretty much every year. Mm-hmm. So they just sort of update it, and they also do uh, other ones throughout the year to kind of emphasize different. Yeah, they do like a Best Buy 1031 uh, for Halloween and mm-hmm. – uh, I, I, I tend to like these little micro batches that they do. And uh, yeah, this is good. It's re- it's got a real kind of big orange citrus um, component to it, but uh, just a little, a little maltiness, but uh, it's got a great aroma and it tastes good. It's got a, a real nice hot bite. I'm digging it. And, uh, but it's nothing crazy. I can't see it. Give me any, any issues. Okay. Um, but the doctor, what's that crazy mofo drinking tonight? Doctor is enjoying Pantera. Pantera Golden Ale, not the Righteous Band. It is named after, of course, the All Rockin' Band, but it is a, a collaboration with the Texas Ale Project, located in Dallas, Texas. Uh, for uh, 5.4%, 16 IBUs. I did say it was gold nail, so it's not going to have big hot bite. But uh, it's also actually uh, enjoyed, the doctor enjoyed it as well, on uh, episode 142. Okay. We reviewed the uh, 
Murder Hornet cigar. So I believe he said it was quite tasty then. Well, hopefully it will be tasty now. Doctor, is it still tasty? It is tasty. Okay. All right. Well, we are uh, doing a rock and roll movie tonight. We had a, a rock and roller as our special guest. So good on you, Doc, for uh, picking a, a rock and roll beer. Uh, I thought it was appropriate. I actually had this guy lined up. Uh, we, we were a chance to save my soul. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I had Jam Fest. Um, you know, like musicians jam. They do jam. That is correct. Uh, from Brazos Valley Brewing Company, and uh, I, I honestly, it was it was kind of boring, so I went out and got something else. Um, okay. Well, uh, what about you, Yak Boy? What are you drinking? I am having from Ingenious Brewing Company, uh, from Humble, Texas, their Double Splat, double IPA. Okay. I figured if the content of our movie, there was a lot of splats. <laughs> and obviously, some of, you'll see some of the more interesting characters, they, they, they basically like, you know, hawked what looks like this this thing right here so I, it, it sort of made me chuckle when i saw it okay but the uh double splat uh it is a hazy ipa as well 8.2 percent 60 ibus uh we have also had uh you had one of theirs actually back on episode 150 the double galaxy mm. hazy ipa i like that one so i'm thinking this one will be pretty darn good as well Okay. Um, it looks very cloudy. Oh, it is hazy. It is yeah. a glass of orange juice. That's way. Uh oh. That's. Or Jono. Oh, no. <laughs> Poor Lars. Check <laughs> uh, check those caps before you uh, you drink the juice. Uh, okay. Uh, is it good? Is it tasty? It is good. I mean, very citrusy. The you know, 60 IBUs, but I mean, it really doesn't taste like that. I would, I would probably, I'm kind of like the opposite of you. I'd probably say it's, it's like 50, maybe 45. Are you sure you didn't get your notes screwed up and you were, you got ours confused? No, no, I'm, I'm fairly certain. Okay, okay. Just yeah, lack of faith there. No, no, of course not. I was, um. Real quick, uh, Tut, before we uh, go to you, I, you lit up first. Boy, for Nicaraguan Puro, it, it, it's got a really tamed spice on the on the retro hail. I, I I was actually kind of taking a bag just how medium and uh, and you know it it didn't come at me like I thought. No, it no, it didn't. But there is a there's a unique spice. It I cannot. I'm having difficulty placing it. Uh, it's on. It's only on the retro hell. Uh, you know, we're not talking pepper or anything. This is a legit, you know, spice, almost like some sort of baking spice. But I'm, I'm having a hard time placing it. Uh, Paprika. No, no, no. It's not smoky or anything like that. No. Uh, and it's not. I mean, it's not like a ginger, but it's a warm spice. But it's not a smoky spice. Uh, Cinnamon. Man, it's not as sweet, but it's close. It is cl- it's it's in that window wheelhouse. Uh, I can see that. Okay. Um, 
I think cinnamon might be kind of close, but there, but there's also a yeah, little... it could. It, I mean, it very well could be. I am like like <laughs> I am so kind of just weird after that interview to where I'm just kind of like I'm I'm in the saddle, but I'm just holding on. Uh, weird in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then there's just a really uh, nice cedary, uh, cedary profile. Um, with and there's a little something else there, but I'm gonna need a little more time. Okay, well, I'll come back to. It. I just want to get your kind of first take because I was just really surprised by the lack of, um, you know, yeah. any, any kind of. Pepper, well, Warp, pepper, if I if I recall, Warp doesn't really go in with the baseball bat on the on the Nicaraguan stuff. They they're they're a little bit more nuanced. They're not like a black label where it's gonna be here's oh, the no. Nicaraguan po- profile, you know, cranked up to eleven. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what's Tut drinking tonight, Yakwa? He from Austin, Texas, from Fourth Tap Brewing, the Soundcheck hyphen Crispy Boy. Crispy Boy? Yeah, that's what it's called. I get this. I get the Soundcheck reference. We had a, a musician as our guest, and there's 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 a lot of. Uh, Rocking, rocking uh, sound checks in our movie. Uh, what, what is the crispy boy part of it? I just, I just went for the for the sound check. I didn't think about the crispy boy, but I could easily come back and say, "Hey, that demon coming out of the oven was sure a crispy boy." Well, uh, that that technically could work. Yes. Tut, will you change your screen name on Zoom to Crispy Boy? Crispy Boy. boy? You should, because <laughs> I really want to call you that, and I'll forget. <laughs> Uh, stupid nine percent beers. Um, is it good? Oh yeah, and I and I also chose it because it's four point five percent. I'm sorry, I missed what what style of uh, beers is. Uh, it is a lager, a pale lager. So, okay. of course, uh, Fourth Tap we're very well acquainted with. They are makers of our our wonderful Kung Fu robot. Oh yeah, I love the love the Kung Fu robot. So. Tut is a good is a good lager. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's nice and refreshing right now. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like crispy, crispy, but you know, it's it's got a little zip to it. Not heavy citrus, not not too heavy citrus. It's just a nice, easygoing, tame lager, which is exactly what I want and need right now. Okay. Um. With just barely getting into this sucker, uh, that that cedar has just been uh, joined by a, a little bit of mineral and a little bit of toasted marshmallow on the draw. So interesting. Already, oh. some, already some things developing. We we didn't get a lot of that with the the first cigar. No. Um, no. Uh, okay. Well, that's what we're drinking. You know what we're smoking. Uh, which only leaves one thing left to do tonight, and that's talk about a movie. And that movie is 1987's Rock and Roll Nightmare. Uh, written by the film star John Micklethor and directed by John Fasano, who went on to direct another rock and roll themed horror flick a year later. You guys remember Black Roses? Oh, hey, uh, all right. We featured that back on episode 146 on our March to Halloween. 
last year. Uh, Boy, his special effects got a lot better over that year, didn't they? Yeah, they did. (laughs) I wonder if his budget got better. Uh, I'm going to guess it almost certainly did. uh, Yeah, oh, certainly. Um, uh, He didn't have to spend as much on body oil the second time. (laughs) It is true, and hairspray. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. We, we haven't done one Stanley Kubrick movie in 154 shows, but this is our second John Fasano film. (laughs) One has to also imagine the maintenance fees with keeping a chainmail studded black posing bikini at the ready at all times. That probably cost a few bucks. Uh, I actually... Speak from experience, Doctor. Uh, you would be amazed at the expenses involved. Um, it's, a tiny it's it's like when you buy a it's like when you buy a little puppy. You know, you you don't realize all the costs that are going to pile up as a result of of owning a dog. It's it's the same with the black studded bikini trunks, uh, or so I've heard. So I've heard. Uh, well, you guys want to jump in on this or what? Yeah, I got yes, my please. wristbands on, my puka shell necklace. I'm ready to rock. I got my deathgasm shirt. I'm just, mmm. Crispy boy is ready. Crispy boy is ready. He's crispy. <laughs> How crispy are you? He told me to change my name. I changed it. So that's the, there you go. Oh, he did. Okay. I'm happy. <laughs> uh,. Working on the lyrics to a song, The Legend of the Crispy Boy. The Legend of the Crispy Boy. Oh, Crispy Boy. Uh, We start things off with a prologue where a mother is making breakfast for her family in a secluded Canadian farmhouse. A secluded farmhouse with a major interstate directly behind it, but okay, whatever. I guess it's still kind of secluded, maybe. Uh, anywho, something in There's the house. There's long, lonely stretches of 35. It might as well be secluded, man. That's true. I, I, I just would have liked them to pick a farmhouse that actually, like, whenever they're like, we're stuck here, there's no way to get out of here. And you're like, you see, bu- <laughs> you see buses, like, driving right behind the house. Anywho, something in the house causes uh, the mother to scream out in horror. And when her doofus husband races downstairs to see what's going on, he nat- naturally looks for his wife in the oven. <laughs> Dear, are you okay? Just look in the oven here. It also uh, makes it, it more begs the question. You could have just run into the kitchen. Not again. Runs over to the. <laughs> and it, that's a big mistake because a demonic charred skeleton emerges from the oven, and that's it for this putz. He's he's history. Uh, there's something wrong with the secluded Canadian farmhouse, isn't there, Doctor? There is. And did not the the charred skeleton kind of remind you of the the original, uh, not Return. deadite, but original zombie from like Return of the Living Dead after after the the skin melts away? Yeah, but but way less impressive looking. Yes, yes, that goes. Yeah. Up. <laughs> it actually kind of looked like that skeleton in Return of the Living Dead that comes out of the grave, and you can see the the string pull its mouth open. Yeah. Uh, it kind of reminds me of that gag. Uh, well, after the opening credits, we're treated, and I just don't throw around the word treated uh, willy-nilly. We are treated to four minutes of screen time devoted to watching a van drive around. Um, are you no. sure it was four minutes? It seemed like it felt uh, really much longer. Absolutely but not. only four. Yeah. 
I object to your use of the word treated here. This was not treated to four minutes of screen time watching a van drive by. This was four minutes of screen time watching the most epic, perfect van of all time in all cinema history. Look, my dad had a uh, like a 70-something Chevy van, had shag carpet, wood paneling, a bed in the back, and that sh that van was epic. Then I saw the A-Team van, and I'm like, oh, my God, that van is even more epic. And then I saw this van, and this van is the most perfect van I have ever seen. And if I could find it, I would buy it tomorrow. Well, Todd, I just happened to, uh, you had mentioned how much you liked it. Uh, I've got a lead for you. Oh, shit, I was just kind of making that up. Called your bluff, did I? Classic, Classic. 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 boy. <laughs> it, it it really is the perfect van. It is so fucking sweet. I want to see the inside of that thing, and I'm disappointed that they didn't show it. Yeah, it does seem kind yeah, of. And, and if you do have a lead on this van, uh, yeah, send it my way. I, I I know your wife would love having that out in the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> She would resist at first, but then when she saw the, I mean, just the vibe the van gives off, she'd, she'd be down for it. Uh, I don't think so, but okay. Uh, it is a perfect van. I think we can all agree on that. Um, I'm with Yaks, though. I thought, I thought it was 27 minutes. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, you, the first time you see it, it's coming over the hill. It's like very, you know, Big trouble. You see the pork chop express rolling down, and you I'm like, the fog right. over the fog over in the snow on the fields. I'm like rolling with it, and then you know we see it again coming down another hill, and this time it's way far away. And man, I'm like, all right, so they're gonna cut. They just stay with that uh, thing, and then we they watch as it as it, it as it stops and goes through 14 different intersections. Uh, yeah, it's like. Okay, I'm, I'm still with it. <laughs> that van came from a car dealer that not only was probably about one-sixth, one-seventh of the budget, uh, but they also needed fill time when they saw the final run time of it. They were like, give us more of that van. And, uh, know, I, that? I, I, I went to the other room and I made dinner. I came back. They were still driving. Well, that was another thing, too. They never cut inside the van. Uh, I think actually what happened was when they finished the movie, they were short on, they didn't have enough movie to be a film and the actors had all gone home. Uh, so you know, I'll call them actors. Um, Let's bring out the van. I'll call them, I'll call them actors too. We've seen oh, no, far worse than these. Oh yeah. I, I was just teasing. Uh, oh, okay. I did. I, did you guys notice the personalized plate on the van? Ducker. Ducker. What's that about? <laughs> Don't know. I was very curious. Like, is this something like who's, who is Ducker? I'll tell you who's Ducker. Me. I'm changing my Zoom name. <laughs> Doctor, don't call me the Duck Man. I'm just Ducker. Wasn't that an early 70s movie, Ducker and the Crispy Boy? <laughs> <laughs> now that had some acting in it. Uh, well, the van finally pulls up to that same semi-secluded Canadian farmhouse from the opening scene, and the rock band The Tritons and their lady friends all pile out of the vehicle. Okay, Todd, I'll give you some horns for that one. 
the band's long blonde haired singer, John Triton, played by screenwriter John Thor, who rather than write a character for himself with a different first name, just dropped the H. Because uh, he spells his name uh, J O H N, but John Triton is J O N, and it, and John J O N is, is is epic. I mean, he gets out of the van. Just and, the smell of Aquanet coming out of that van is just boom. You know, for for a, a bunch of rockers who aren't really going out in public, they're just going out to this farm. That they 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 look good. <laughs> It's kind of like uh, what was uh, Bill Gould when he was talking about uh, being secluded up in Woodstock. It was like there was only one restaurant. You eventually go mad, so all you do is work. <laughs> like, apparently, he didn't get the memo that he's supposed to have his spike undies. Uh, these guys do everything but work. Uh, well, we'll, we'll get to that soon enough. Uh, well, John Triton gets out of the van and announces that they have arrived, and they're going to spend the next five weeks here at this farmhouse rehearsing. Rehearse for what, you may ask? I don't really know, because Triton, who looks like a combination of Def Leppard's Joe Elliott and a young dog, the bounty hunter, first says that they're there. First, he says they're there to rehearse the songs from their latest album. But then in the same breath, he says they need to come up with 10 minutes of new music or they're going to lose their big advance from the record company. Look, Tut, they're just here to fucking rock, okay? Hey man, I'm not. I'm dude. I'm not arguing with Thor at all. Dude, you can't dude, fight dude. rock and roll. Yeah. Why would you? Me of that blonde guitarist from Iron Maiden. It was slightly better looking than that guy, but that, he hits me. Look. I was kind of thinking. I was kind of leaning Iron Maiden too, but I also saw the Def Leppard. I didn't see the Dog the Bounty Hunter though, but that's pretty epic. Uh, I'm pretty sure Dog the Bounty Hunter looked like he did now in his twenties. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Um, the band all of a sudden my door gets kicked in. Get down, Icehead! Like, oh shit! No, dog's not kicking in a lot of doors these days. He's knocking. Is he not? Is he retired? No, no, he's still out there. Uh, in fact, we just saw a uh, uh one of those uh Dateline things where there was like some some high sol- or high publicized missing person and fucking dog shows up. Uh, yeah. The Dateline cameras caught him, and I'm like, wow, man, he he hasn't aged well. Uh, again, Tud, I think that's just what he's always looked like. <laughs> um, the band's Weasley manager, Phil, explains that he picked this place because there's no telephones or TV to distract them from rocking. And he's outfitted the farm's barn with a 24-track recording studio. But nobody's impressed, especially the band's drummer, Stig, who sometimes speaks in the Australian accent and sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> and his high-maintenance girlfriend, Luann. Phil introduces them all to the friendly farmhand, Carl, who informs them they're not the first musical act to stay here. In fact, Alice Blooper recorded here previously. <laughs> Alice Blooper. Yeah, because this guy doesn't know much about the music scene, does he? He does not. Carl tries to warn Phil about something, but the goofball manager just blows him off and yanks the keys from him and kicks him the hell out of there. He'll, what's he say as they walk off? You'll see. You'll see. Oh, Dave Murray was the guy from Iron Maiden I was thinking of. Okay. No, I can picture the. I can picture. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And Dave Murray circa 1982. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Those guys now. Have you seen those guys? Yeah. yeah. Um, as they haul in their luggage, Triton uh, announces that he and his main squeeze, Randy, are going to take the master bedroom, lead singer style. And he tells <laughs> he tells newlywed guitarist Roger Ebert. Uh. It's spelled E B U R T. Uh, and his wife, Mary, that they can have the smaller bedroom, which leaves everyone else, including guitarist Max and keyboardist Dee Dee, crashing on cots and couches. After we spend a few minutes watching Triton lock up the van, not quite as long as the van driving <laughs> montage, but and he tells like 10 people, I'm going to go outside and lock up the van. And then he's out there locking it up door by door. And like his girlfriend sticks her out the window. I'm just still locking up the van. Because in the secluded area, obviously they're, which of course is next to the highway, they're worried about the van being stolen. Uh, Well, maybe they should. The van is going to go disappearing here in a little bit. Uh, Well, after he does that, we get a montage of trees blowing in the wind, the moon creeping in, more trees. And unlike the ridiculously extended van sequence, those shots combined with kind of a somewhat basic synth score actually kind of worked for me temporarily until I realized that it was all built up for an evil presence that let's be honest, it never really, it, there's nothing scary in any way, shape or form about this movie <laughs> or, or, or the, like you, you never know what's going on and nothing's ever explained. And that imagery could have been cool if it kind of lended itself, aided something else that was coming, but. Yeah, I still think it was pretty cool. I mean, you can't fault you can't fault B roll for being stuck in a B movie. You cannot fault B roll for being stuck in a B movie type. That I like that. Um, you know, Doctor, you can't fault B roll for being in a B movie. Classic. I, I can I can fault B roll for not being used correctly <laughs> in a B movie. Uh, yeah, boy, I I think you missed uh, what Doctor said. Classic Ducker. Let's just let's just go with that. Um, after chowing down on Manager Phil's home cooked chicken dinner, the band heads out to the barn to rock. Uh, before we get into this rocking scene, uh, I'm about I don't know, a good inch and a half into this thing. Did you pick up any of that um, mineral or uh, the the toasted marshmallow to go with that cedar on the draw? I'm not really picking up the the. Uh... The toasted marshmallow, the minerals crept in. Uh, there's there's still that light hit of cinnamon on the retro hell that I really like. Uh, I still think that there's so there's, it's not only cedar. I think there's also a little leather at play there. Uh, so far, I'm really kind of digging the cigar. It's yeah, it's it's, it's got very- a, it's got a lot of stuff going on and it's playing really well with it. And I'm glad um, that my my light ass. My light beer is out of the way and not interfering with anything, so I can kind of get it. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's got some nice flavors going. It's a it's a very easy smoking cigar. Um, nothing um, at at all in your face about it. It's just got some nice kind of subtle flavors that are working all really well together. Uh, does that all sound copacetic to you, young boy? It does. Now the uh, one thing. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say that the the marshmallow I had that for a little bit. It's died down, of course. Mineral leather, very very prominent. And just a, I mean, I'm getting more of like a just a slight pepper to the retro helm. But 
Actually, me too, uh, where it wasn't really a discernible black pepper at the very beginning. <coughs> the proof is in the sneeze. <laughs> it's starting to creep in there, Yak Boy. You're at, you're absolutely right. They're right before the start of the second, third, uh, which is another nice little twist. This The cigar is kind of keeping me on my toes. I like that. All right. So they're out in the barn and they're ready to rock. And you know that Triton is ready to sing his fucking balls off because he's changed into a shiny silver blazer with no shirt underneath. Oh, Love man. that look. <laughs> God, damn, he looked good. Uh, they blast into the their rock anthem, We Live to Rock, which is 75% chorus of them just singing We Live, We Live to Rock over and over again. We live, we live to rock. We live, we live to rock. Our kind of music will never stop. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it reminded me of the Kiss anthems. That that that's what they were trying to go for. It was see very, to me. I was to me. It seemed more Twisted Sister. I, I could I could see the Twisted Sister. There's one. There's one. Uh, no, uh-uh, I think it was this song. We live, we live to rock. It was almost like lick it up, lick it up. And I was just like, I mean, it was real close to it. It's interesting uh, because we're all fans of the genre that we all got like a different thing that we heard. Because for me, it was like early, like the early, and I'm a Motley Crue fan, but it was like bad early Motley Crue. Like, <laughs> he's got looks to kill. Or go shout at the devil. It was kind of, it kind of was like that early <laughs> crew sound for me. That tells you just how, uh, how much range the genre had that one song made us think about six different bands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think there's actually, it's a great, and I think that's what, it's a great time in music because I was never into like, you know, lamb of god norwegian death metal or anything like that i was a fan of the hard rock hair bands motley crew and uh absolutely obviously guns and roses much better band metallica much better band but uh i I was a fan of those bands and so there's something that's kind of just fun about it about the 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 feathered hair and that kind of rock and roll uh And I'll give him this. uh, Triton's a hell of a front man because they're just playing in this barn to their girlfriends but he's got his shades on. He's whipping his hair around. I mean, he he's he doesn't half-ass rehearsals. We always tell each other, uh, you know, when we show up to some club and it's less less attended than we would like, it was like regardless of whether there's one person or ten thousand people, you play to that one person, man. You play you play the best show that you can play. Uh, that's how Ducker does it. <laughs> Uh, the and the ladies are really digging it, especially Stig's sexy vixen of a girlfriend, Luann. At first, she's super bored. She's a big city groupie, and the barn bullshit isn't living up to her standards. But after a while, she can't fight the music any longer, and she just starts rock. She she lives to rock. They all live to rock. Uh, she actually starts taking her like unbuttoning her blouse as she's watching. Yeah. Hey, typical ladies, typical ladies rock fan. Um, and also as they're rocking, we get a floating POV shot of someone or something and in the rafters. Hey, maybe it's Alice Blooper still hanging around, uh, the barn. You guys didn't find that Alice Blooper thing as funny as I did, did you? No. 
I also didn't find the follow up to Don Stewart. You know, I didn't. I I didn't know if they were making it as if those were real people or if the other guy was just stupid and he was getting yeah. the name. It was it was stupid and getting the names wrong. Frank was supposed to be just a, a country bumpkin who didn't know how to say Alice Cooper or and he called Rod Stewart. What do you call him? Uh, I, I don't remember. I just made up Don Stewart. It was like Don Stewart or something like that. Uh, okay. Well, I think it's something far more menacing, perhaps, than Alice Blooper hanging out uh, in the barn. Actually, it's neither. It's not Alice Blooper or anything menacing. As we see a small, one-eyed, penis-shaped monster sneak up to Phil's drink in the recording booth and spit out what looks like a gooey strand of jizz into his coffee cup. Uh, Yak Boy said that it looked like splat. It was literally a penis with an eyeball. It was a penis with an eyeball. You are yeah. absolutely correct. Who who coughed up some jizz into <laughs> Bill's coffee cup. And at this uh, point, I went for the wine rack. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need a little something to get you through this. Oh, I, it ended up being more than a little something. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the conclusion of the song, Stig breaks one of his drumsticks. So Phil heads down into the barn's basement to find another one. And get this, Luann follows the dorky manager down there and actually does off her blouse. She tries to put Phil's hands on her impressive gazungas, but he pulls away. He knows it isn't right to mess with one of his buddy's girls. But when she starts nibbling on his neck, well, you know, it's a guy supposed to do, I guess. Well, too bad for Philly, Luann suddenly transforms into a demon and bites a giant chunk out of his shoulder. Doctor, do you think Phil will live to rock much longer after suffering a serious injury like that? I'm afraid it's far too early to tell, but every part of his jugular vein was ripped away. The pain he must be feeling. It, it was messy. It kind of made, it was it was like that bite uh, in Dawn of the Dead when they when they're going to the apartment complex and that guy takes that huge tears off that huge chunk of that chick's trapezius muscle. Uh, and it, I mean, it was it was really well done in in Dawn of the Dead. Right. When she transforms, the face of the creature, not the size of it, but the face reminded me of the underground monster in Big Trouble Little China, just like like big eyeballs and. Uh, yeah, they're not, not nearly as well. Not nearly as well. No, uh, these these demons, and I'm going to be mentioning quite a few of them. They they're just they're really wrinkly, uh, and they got these kind of these big these big eyes, and they got fangs. And without uh, the biting and like the violence, they look like they could have been at home like playing the drums up on like a, a Chuck E. Cheese restaurant or something like that. Like they might have been fun or something until they attacked. I don't know, but I'm not taking my kid anywhere where these things are hanging out. Well, wait a minute. Would the, would, the one, would the one-eyed penis monsters be there, too? I mean, that's not the ducker I used to know. <laughs> like, oh, God. <sighs> Honey, don't don't stare over at the salad bar. It's another one of those one-eyed penis monsters. You know what? I expect this shit at Little Caesars, but not here. Doesn't that be the machine where, like, the little whack-a-mole, those things just pop out instead? You have to. Yeah, instead they're little one-eyed dicks that pop up. I mean, that would be a fun game to play. 
Doctor, that was the bluegrass band that you were in college, wasn't it? One-Eyed Dicks? Yeah, we opened for Crispy Boy and Ducker once. That was a hell of a show. That was a hell of a show. Uh, well, the band hears Phil scream out in pain. They all rush down to the basement, but there's no sign of anyone there. Let's go look for him upstairs, Mary says. But it sounded like the scream came from down here, Triton reasons. You're right. Let's go look upstairs. <laughs> what the what was that? At this point, I was waiting for Triton to say, let's go check out the van. And I have another 10 minutes of them just with the van. I thought that was coming next. <laughs> I'll go out first and unlock the van. I'll go look in the van. <laughs> it take me at least 10 minutes to get it unlocked <laughs> is he done yet I'm still unlocking the van uh, okay well not only do they not find Phil but the van the van the ducker van is now missing too fucking great the band calls it a night hey our manager screamed out in pain is missing and our only form of transportation is gone <laughs> been a long day. What are you going to do? Uh, the band calls in a night. But <laughs> when, Triton, do, when Triton slides into bed with Randy, she's all hot and horny from watching him rock. But he'd rather read a book than tickle her keys. He's not just a rocker, boys. He's a thinker. He's a reader. That's... Artist. He's an artist. Yeah. It's like... Man, uh, that wasn't crispy boy style, man. That chick was ready to go. <laughs> I, uh, you guys hearing like a, a loud noise? There's probably like, some uh, cicadas outside. Oh, it, yeah, it sounds like it be cicadas. Okay, I thought I was having a stroke, so I'm somewhat relieved. Yeah, man, those are the <laughs> loudest, those are the loudest uh, cicadas I've ever heard. Yeah, crispy boy grows them big. Uh, well, <laughs> I, was try, I was trying, man. This, this is the best day after crispy boy you get. Um, are you gonna try to get your wife to start calling you Crispy Boy? No, not at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> Matter of fact, I, I'm hoping this nickname dies as soon after this show's over. Oh, I don't know. I kind of like it. I don't know, Crispy Boy. <laughs> uh, I don't think that way, CD. <laughs> <laughs> don't you need to start your own show, CD and the Ducker? <laughs> How come he gets his name first? It's kind of like BJ and the Bear. It's like BJ and the Bear. You get the initials first. No, and the- C- CB and CB and the Ducker sounds better than than the other way around. I, I'll give it to you. Well, keyboardist DD is a little shaken as it's their first night in this old creepy house. Phil's gone missing, and she needs some company, so she heads up to Max's room. But much like his frontman Triton, as DD tries to put the moves on Max. He explains he's really tired. It's it's been a long day. These have to be the two most unhorniest rock and rollers I've ever come across. This is where the similarity to Motley Crue and Iron Maiden ends. <laughs> These are the most unhorny rockers I've ever come across, and I saw Toto in concert. <laughs> Meet you all the way. <laughs> Uh, man, and on that Toto uh, reference, I think it's time for me to grab another can of Pantera Gold, man. There you go. Um, I actually, uh, I think, how's your draw on the cigar, guys? Are you, are you, is it tight at all? A little bit, yes. A little I, I, bit. It's workable, though. 
And I'm not. I mean, I've I've had I've had tighter. It's just. I'm, I bet you have, crispy boy. <laughs> I'm actually taking a nub tool and just kind of jabbing a little bit to see if that helps loosen some things up a little bit. Yeah, mine's at the mine's at the end as well. My God, this sounds like it's coming from in my living room. Yeah, like, <laughs> is it really at your place, Tut? I feel like they're surrounding. Yeah. yeah. This is what happens when you watch Rock and Roll Nightmare. The, the demons have come for us. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a fire alarm going off, like in a hotel. <laughs> I, I certainly hope our I certainly hope our listeners can't hear that. <laughs> um. Well, Get on out of here, skaters. That didn't work. No, it's they're not afraid of crispy boy. Well, that wasn't very crispy. <laughs> no, that wasn't. He, you you could have been crispier. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. Well, getting back to our. Uh, oh, how's the cigar working? I I can't, I can't imagine there's anything on your end with the logger tutters. I'm sure they're playing nicely together. How how's the your double IPA treating it yet? It's, it's actually really good. I mean, this cigar has enough strength. And like I said, this IPA, the, the, I, I said the IBUs were, it's, this seems much lower. I mean, this is more, it's, it really is, you know, more citrus sweet than anything else. I mean, I'm not getting overly bitter. So it's not really interfering with the cigar. So like I said, I'm still picking up a lot of the nuance from the cigar like i said the you know that you know the the pepper is picked up a little bit you know i think i think it's going to build up i'm hoping it's going to keep building up that that would be pretty awesome because i'm about halfway now and it's gotten a little bit stronger so okay yeah um that's that's the thing that kind of concerns me is that you know warp doesn't really do a lot of you know power in their cigars and I was kind of curious because I was like, that's what I was thinking. I was like, there is, there's a lot of good flavor, but I could see it being overblown or just kind of shoved around by a, a, a tart beer or something that's like, you know, got some muscle to it. So you know, my, mine's pretty, a pretty bold beer and it's, they're playing. Okay. I was actually hoping because the beer is so you got that really nice citrus side of it. I was really hoping that it would bring out, I don't know if you guys, uh, did the cold draw before we lit up on the cigar. It was had a very sweet cold draw and uh, I, I'm not getting any sweetness out of the cigar. And I was hoping maybe the beer would activate some of that. Um, if only I, I had, say, if only I had more perva. Yeah. I will say that I, I am getting your marshmallow and that's the first time I've ever gotten marshmallow that I can recall. I, oh, ever? I hardly like, don't ever get marshmallow. Mm, well, uh, Welcome to the party, crispy boy. Yeah, all right. Uh, I'll leave my marshmallow in too long so it gets extra crispy. Amen. Cedar, a tiny touch of leather, but that mineral and marshmallow, and then you get that uh, cinnamon and the kind of ebbing and flowing that's kind of growing, that pepper spice. I mean, that's... It's tasty. It's a tasty cigar. It's an interesting profile. Uh, I'm I'm enjoying it quite a bit. For some reason, I'm thinking I would really like this cigar with a... uh, maybe a a Pinot Noir, uh, a red, a dry red wine. It would have to be super dry for yeah. me, for me. 
Uh, yeah, I could see super dry. I also would like a, a softer coffee. That would be good. Uh, something that's a little bit more, not not creamy coffee, but but kind of sort of leaning that way. Uh, I, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this quite a bit. All right. Well, back to the show. Um, so Triton, where were we? Triton and Max, uh, both limp dicks, don't want anything to do with these chicks that are uh, grabbing them between the thighs. But at least the lovey-dovey newlyweds, Mr. and Mrs. Roger Ebert, they're doing it, as well as Stig and Luann. Stig, or as Luann Stig, calls Stigging it to her. He's stigging it to her. <laughs> Come on, Doc. It was too easy. I had to go for it. It's the best I got tonight. Stig around. There's more. Keeping it crispy. Ann calls him the one-minute wonder. I'll let you uh, figure that out. Uh, as he climbs off her to go take a whiz. Chicks love that. Oh, that was great, babe. I got to go take a piss. High five. Uh, as he's flexing in the mirror while reciting lines from the Terminator, a big-haired blonde chick in lingerie that we haven't seen before steps in the bathroom and reaches a hand out to Stig. And the first thought is, we're secluded miles from nowhere. Where did this blonde chick come from? No. No, he's Stig. Or should I say it in his horrible Australian accent? I be Stig. That sounds oh, like a pirate. That sounds like Long John Silver from Treasure Island. Yeah, you know what? My, my, I, I, I am horny. I, I lost me pot of treasure. Sever me timbers. Shiver I me just timbers. sivered it for a good minute there. In search of a new drumstick, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what? My, my Australian voice does sound a lot like a pirate. Go to the bathroom and come back with spices the likes of which you've never seen. But historically, that makes sense because I don't know if you guys knew this. All pirates originated out of Australia. That is incorrect. That is totally incorrect. You got to look. Historically incorrect. You guys going to listen to me or Crispy Boy over there? <laughs> I don't know, Doctor. That doesn't sound Well, even though he doesn't have a clue who this chick is, Stig is up for some more hanky panky. But unfortunately, she turns into an ooze spitting demon and attacks him. A big, I guess this is where your beer comes in, Yaks. A big splat of, of goo shoots out of her mouth. That's why I said uh, I saw the can and it did make me just crack up after watching this movie. I was like, oh, I gotta get that. I can't help it. Because apparently it's like, what What will this one do? What if it spits something at him like the other five times in the movie? Okay. <laughs> well, we cut and then a silent Stig Mar- coolly marches back into the bedroom and proceeds to, for once, Stig it to her. Pleasure the hell out of Luann for well, <laughs> well over a minute. Yes, he, he stigged it to her again. Demon went for a minute and five seconds. <laughs> it's like, well, do you want to last a little bit longer? You got to become a demon. How much longer? <laughs> Just then, a group of diehard Tritons female fans show up at the farmhouse to meet their musical idols. 
They're all members of the Mississauga branch of the Tritons fan club. And they're more than a little disappointed when manager Phil answers the door. Yeah. Phil's back now. They don't, he's just, he's just there. He tells them to show him their bazoomies as he has four. Okay. Don't, don't we get a, don't we get a, a sorry in there? A sorry. We totally got a sorry. Sorry to bother you. Oh, did the girl say sorry to bother you? I, I, I caught a sorry in there. Yes, I did as well. I, uh, so I just, sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I'm so sorry to bother you. I just got my. I, I lived in Mississauga for for quite some time. I just. I was like, oh, wow. I didn't know that there was a Mississauga the Tritons fan club branch there. I man, I I lived a rock. I could I could have been partying <laughs> with these girls. Doesn't sound. Where was I? Oh yeah, he tells them to show him that uh, all their bazoomies, as he has four happens to have four openings for road groupies to help chop up the cocaine and uh, keep the band's stage costumes neatly pressed. That actually doesn't sound like that bad a gig, to be honest. Oh, it sounds pretty good. You probably get to hang out in that fucking van. I mean, apparently the van is incredibly roomy because it seated 10 people with no problem. <laughs> and all their gear. In, in, Man, in, baby. The girls are not feeling Phil, and they're not feeling any of this, somewhat surprisingly. Uh, they're also somewhat unsurprisingly not shocked when Phil gets angry and starts speaking in a deep demon voice. Yeah. It doesn't even phase it. They're like, look, dude, we said we're not interested, right? <laughs> if you're part of the Mississauga chapter of the Triton fan club, man, you've probably heard and seen a lot of weird shit. <laughs> some dude starts talking to you and it's some satan- satanic guttural growl. You're probably like, uh, oh, he also has a slimy green demon hand uh, now, which that doesn't really seem to phase these chicks either. Mississauga chicks are wild. Uh <laughs> Nothing, nothing gets to them. Well, he he ushers them into a side room, and that's that. No bazoomies to show. No nothing. Another letdown. We we don't get to see any kills in this movie. Everything happens in another room. Oh, I thought I thought that they uh I thought they left. I thought they yeah I thought I thought the front door yeah I thought no he ushers them in like I need to talk to you girls in this other room. And then he kind of looks back at the camera with his demon hand, like, "Yeah, no, they they don't go anywhere." Oh, okay. Oh, I missed that one. I'm with Tud. I thought I thought they they went back out the front door. Yeah, I was like, "That's very nice of the demon." No, no, nobody escapes. Nobody escapes. And yeah. I'm going to I'm going to have to do a relight here. Uh, I've had my draw is, a few times. My draw is just a little a little tight. Let me just get this going here. I know I'm not smoking as near as fast as I, I normally should, but that's usually supposed to be a good thing when you slow down. But yeah, I've had to, I've had to relight a few times. There we go. Um. So yeah, the, the, the kind of the movie kind of let me down with. Uh, uh, the lack of kills and I mean it's a horror movie and it could be a really exploitive over the top horror movie. I say that with a movie that features an army of one-eyed penis monsters. <laughs> you know, I really wish this movie would have gone for it. Uh, but no, I just I, don't know exactly how your kill scenes with one-eyed penis monsters are going to go. 
I would have liked to find out. Just ramming them to death. I mean, that would have been fun. Like once. Uh, uh, such a crispy boy thing to say. On the flip side, you know who never lets us down, boys? Who's that? Uh, who that? Our uh, buddies over at True State. Oh, they never do. Are. And just in case you folks at home weren't listening to what I said just a little bit ago, I'm going to repeat this news about Drew Estate's latest creation. I'm going to go ahead and say it one more time. Listen close. Introduced during Freestyle Live Special Edition, the 20-acre farm by Drew Estate is a complex and medium-bodied cigar with super oaky and cedary notes, accompanied by a whisper of white pepper and bright hint of citrus. 20-acre farm is built using a velvety Ecuadorian Connecticut shade-grown wrapper, a sun-grown Habano binder, and a filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa, blended with the opulent and majestic Florida sun-grown leaf, which is humbly and lovingly grown one harvest at a time by Jeff Borshowitz on a pristine 20-acre plot of land near the central Florida town of Claremont. We've been there. We've all been there. Yeah, we have. Uh, not just to Florida, not just to Claremont, to this farm. That's correct. Uh, it's pretty cool. And while we're talking about pretty cool stuff, I'd also like to take a hot minute once again to tell you uh, about something very cool called Cigar World. Cigar World's an online site for cigar smokers. There you can get cigar news, reviews, and a whole lot more. Also on the site is a cigar research panel called the Testing Lab. You can sign up to give your input on new cigars by taking surveys and testing cigars. Check it out at cigarworld.com forward slash forward slash testing lab. Doctor, what's your opinion on surveys? I seem to remember you not being a big fan of those. Uh, actually, uh, I hate to be contrary of nature, uh, but uh, I actually am a fan of survey results. It just depends on uh, how thorough the survey is. Has it reached enough respondents for the data to be worthwhile? Uh, because you know, you could if you survey only a small group of people, your your results really could be random or not tell the whole story. But yeah, I, I enjoy a good survey actually. Okay. All right. I, I learned something about you tonight. Uh, it's not Ducker style to do any learning. <laughs> uh, I'm breaking all the rules tonight, man. Uh, you guys just sit back and enjoy the ride. Uh, well, the next morning the girls are doing dishes. I'm sure Phil's not dead or anything, or he would have called Reasons Mary unreasonably. What the what? I had to listen to that three times to to, to make sure I wasn't. In... I'm sure Phil's not dead or anything, or he would have called. That's Am right. I... That's right. Man, hey, I must... hey, uh, hey, I just wanted to let y'all know I'm dead. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's if fine. It, if Phil would have been dead or something, he would have let us know. <laughs> Sorry, guys. There was a weight into heaven. So once I got in, I could use the phone. Ugh, terribly sorry. Probably were worried. Look, I, I, I'm actually third in line here at the Pearly Gates. I don't have time for anything. Just put Crispy Boy on the phone. I got to talk to him fucking now. Put him on the phone. I do uh, like the aspect of, of – and I. I guess we're not nitpicking. I mean, this movie is what it is, but I mean, just the, the, I, I do kind of like that aspect of you've gone somewhere supposedly secluded, but we'll forget that the interstate is nearby and one of your party goes missing and then everybody just goes to bed the next morning. You're still not worried. 
Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if he was dead, he would have called. <laughs> Man. Randy isn't too concerned either, but she quickly ducks out of the kitchen as Mary's new husband, Roger Ebert, struts in. And Do you think they've named him that? Like maybe Roger Ebert would go easy on him reviewing the film if they named a character after Roger Ebert? Or maybe even just try to pay attention to the film? Yeah. Uh, yeah, even Robert, even Robert like, Ebert shits on this film. You know, it's still Roger Ebert. It'll get us noticed. Yeah, All publicity is good publicity. This did not get I'm us. sure Ebert was thinking, you know what I hate more than anything? The letter U. How dare they put that in my name? <laughs> uh, well, she, uh, Randy gets out of there as Mary's new husband, Roger Ebert, struts in and starts groping his wife. He explains, and you know they're newlyweds because they say it every five seconds. I love being a newly married woman. I love you being my newly married wife. I love being uh, newly married. I love being newly married. Look at us, newly uh, doing dishes. It's wonderful. He explains, uh, uh, Roger explains he can't control his impulses. Seeing her do domestic stuff like washing the dishes, well, he says, my boner just can't help itself. Is that a condition, Doctor? Uh, well, in certain uh, parts of the Canadian uh, provinces on the eastern east coast, I have heard such things. Yes, I, I don't know if it's true. My you're, you're... God, though, think of the implications of that. I mean, it, every nerve fiber in your genitalia would be on fire with feeling. And it's leading you into it, do it's the dishes leading... into that condition. If you, if you can't control your your boner just watching a woman do dishes, I mean that could get that could get out of hand fast. But the, but the good thing is is that you, it results in clean dishes. I mean that's foreplay, and next thing you know, you 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 go do what you do, and you come back, and you got clean dishes. <laughs> you know they they've only been there less than twelve hours, and we already have had two dishwashing scenes. Well, I mean, you can only go back to the van so often. <laughs> <laughs> um, she tells him to go get her a fresh dish towel, which gets him attacked down the hallway by a demon. We just see an arm reach out and grab him. And then that demon uh, comes in the kitchen and pulls Mary out as well. Oh, but they had the Tritons, uh, one of their rock songs, playing on a little radio. And then we see the demon arm come back in the kitchen and stop the music. <laughs> Everything they do, they listen to their own music. Like there's constantly in their in the in the house, just they're just listening to their own their own stuff. Well, uh, they're there to re- record an album, right? They're doing recording sessions. They want to play their own stuff, see how it sounds. They're practicing, yeah, yeah. Of all the things we could pick out, I guess that's not so ridiculous, right? I guess not. I guess not. Um, what we learned earlier, you know, Bill's not a big fan of, of listening to his own music because all he hears is the mistakes but maybe that's what these guys are trying to do hear the mistakes so they can fix them uh i think we're giving way too much thought into the triton's creative process well john uh, triton has been in his bedroom all night not having sex reading kierkegaard so what do you <laughs> <laughs> oh such a thinker a philosopher a rocking uh, warrior poet so that's now it. we now we have phil stig Roger and Mary Ebert all falling prey to whatever it is in the house that's evil. We're giving absolute we're given absolutely nothing to work with here. There's just some type of demon or demons 
hanging around who can possess people, apparently. Because once he grabs you, you show back up and you're just kind of this flat affect kind of. Uh, Even if you've already had somebody bite you. Yeah. You come back intact. You're, yeah. you're fine. Yeah. And apparently a sexual Tyrannosaurus. Just like me. <laughs> well, that, Ducker, not not Cade. I'm playing a you know, character. <laughs> we'll be up to our viewers to interpret that. Uh, shove it up my ass, Doc. Oh, oh no, it's your, your, your. Right, yeah. I thought Yax straightened it out. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, 9%, 9% ABV. Give me a break. <laughs> Ducker wouldn't have made a mistake like that. I uh, sure wouldn't have, Crispy. You know the score. <laughs> would not. Out in the barn. I've uh, spent many a journey with Ducker and you, sir. No Ducker. No <laughs> All right, I'll change my Zoom name. I'm just, just going to leave it blank. I don't need a name. <laughs> the point there is, if you get possessed by a demon, you're not fooling Crispy Boy. Oh, hell no. Well, I mean, if, he you're, a, if you're a sexual tyrannosaurus, it's probably easy to get over on me. Yeah, if you if you, you know... Got some gazungas or whatever Phil called them. Some bazoomies. <laughs> some bazoomies? <laughs> all right. Canada's a little odd. It's all it's right. A, it's a Canadian thing. It's a Canadian thing. Is it? Yeah. I remember what. Well, well, along with being dead and being able to use the phone, apparently, is something our friends north of the border can do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ah, what wonderful people they are. <laughs> Out in the. Uh, <laughs> I remember I used to get occasionally dragged out uh, with, when I was living up there. I was just, you know, kind of desperate for some friends. And they, these guys would go to those, what do they call those clubs where the women take their clothes off? Strip clubs. Uh, they would you drag me. those against your will. They would drag me there. And I remember they'd be like, they'd, they'd, they'd stop and ask the door guy, like, how are the bazoomies tonight? You got to be like, not bad, not bad. Like, hey, uh, you won't be sorry. You will not be sorry. Now, see, here's a perfect opportunity to tie things together. Let's let's let our fans take a survey and tell us which part of that story is not true. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to uh, have our fans take a survey. Which do you prefer, uh, bazoomies or gazungas? No, which part? Which part of Ducker's story was it? We should have like a March Madness of like bazoomies, gazungas, bazungas, jugs, tatas, and just run it. Well, see, in Animal House, I'm pretty sure, and Yaks, help me out here, because you're as familiar with that movie as I am, I'm pretty sure at one point they say gazoomies. Gazoomies. That is correct. Gazoomies? Gazoomies. Gazoomies. And then at one point, Jim Matheson's character is giving Peter Rieger's character a hint of the girl is going out with that that night, and he's all, oh, I'm going to give you a hint. She's got a pair of Major League Yabos. 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 (laughs) All right. Well, in Mississauga, it's it's all about the bazoomies. Uh, Wasn't that a Puff Daddy song all about the bazoomies? Yeah, baby. I believe it was, yes. That was, that was the the P Diddy remix he did with Crispy Boy. <laughs> yabos, yabos. Uh, out in the barn, 
the band starts jamming their high energy song called, well, Energy. What's the name of the song? You give me energy. You give me energy. Uh, without Roger, the, the bass player, John Triton waits for no man to rock. He grabs Roger's headless bass guitar and just starts wailing. Hey, you want to wait for uh, Roger? No, let's do this. And man, they, they deliver a fucking hell of a performance. Randy and Luann can't believe how well Stig is playing the drums, as usually he sucks. But this morning, he's on fire. I feel like a changed man, he says in a flat, robotic, non-Australian voice, and nobody notices. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, usually he would you know, be like, I like to play me drums. And now he's not talking anything like that. We'll sail around the horn and bring back guitars the likes of which you've never seen. <laughs> was that better? Was my Australian? <laughs> oh yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, the doctor's Australian accent was spot on. Dude, he, he literally doesn't go back to that Australian accent, and it just shows you how invested in their relationship Luann is. She never like asks him why he's not talking with an accent anymore. He just whatever. Well, uh, after after he added those ten seconds to their lovemaking, I mean, yeah. questioning. Yeah, that's seventy minutes of sex. Put her on a level of bliss. She's not questioning anything anymore. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, he pulls. Speaking of that, she's probably like, oh, I knew it was a demon all along. But I mean, come on, what do you expect a girl to do? <laughs> Well, she. Uh, speaking of them getting uh, thirteen hot. penis monsters joined in last <laughs> night, you think I didn't notice that? That's <laughs> uh. <laughs> the wrong oh, man. Turned up the heat and got crispy in here all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, I'm getting the duck out of here. Oh. Uh, right. Well, uh, the possessed Stig pulls uh, Luann away for some more steamy action. None of the one-eyed penis monsters ever participate in any of the uh, sexual tri- t- trysts. Is that the word? Until we get our hands on the directors. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> you got one of the. You got. You got like the the. <laughs> All right, babe, listen, just hear me out. I know we've experimented a little bit back in uh, San Diego over the summer in the van, but bear with me on this. Come on in, boys. This little penis guys waddle in. That horrible synth sound comes in. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Don't, don't say no yet. Uh, and one of them had like a little tuft of like gray hair. Like it was so bizarre. Okay. Um, Randy then, since Stig is pulling Luann away for some, for some steaminess, Randy then tries once again to get John Triton to loosen up and make sweet love to her. Well, I guess we can take a break. The guys are all, the guys after all are studio ready. Then why the hell are you up here for five weeks if they're studio ready? That was the whole point. You had you've only had one song. You guys have only played one song together. I guess we got our shit together. Let's there's, just. Uh, there's a difference between studio ready and show ready. Randy tells their studio. Isn't this when they're doing their recording? That's what I thought. 
They had to record ten more minutes of music or they lose their contract. Yeah, whatever that means. Randy tells Triton that all the other couples are off somewhere screwing, and she asks if that gives him any ideas. Yeah, it does, Randy. I need to start working on that new love song. Tolstoy's War and Peace. (laughs) I figured it would be more like 101 Ways of How to Lock Up Your Van for Dummies. (laughs) The Vapor Lock Bible. Oh, um, yeah. He he's gonna pass on the lovemaking. He's gonna he's gonna work on writing that new love song as he gently pushes her away. This dude is all about the music, fellas. He's a true he's a true artist, and chicks don't know how to deal with us artist types sometimes. And I I liked Randy. Yeah, sweet. She was supportive. Eighties chicks goes. I could I could have some fun with Randy. Um, and I'm not just saying that because she did the dishes. She would, she like kept track of all his like his folders and journals and stuff. Like she was like, she was there to like you know help him in his creative process. Although I think maybe if he didn't finally give in, that she might be looking for those little one-eyed penis monsters. Who would... <laughs> As Max and Dee Dee finally join their lustful bodies together. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, Tut, is it true that keyboard players are notoriously bad in bed? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he didn't even try to defend himself. <laughs> Come on, Crispy. Stand up for yourself. Poor little Crispy boy. Actually, we're really good. We're the horn dogs of the band. Is that true? Yeah, it's actually true. Yeah, okay. Uh, now we like angry sex, but you know that's God. you gotta you gotta give it. I mean, you gotta give and take. Oh, man. Uh. That's something so much more innocent than mine. Oh, Miss American Pie, you crispy boy to the levee, but the levee was Uh Crispy boys firing on all cylinders tonight. And crispy boys were sitting around drinking whiskey and rum. <laughs> Stig takes Luann out to a nearby pond. She takes her top off, and then he unbuttons his shirt, hunches over, and a giant demon hand bursts through his belly and grabs Luann's boob. He didn't stick it to her. He did not stick it to anybody. Max and Dee Dee hear Luann's screams of agony, but just brush it off. It's the second time one of their friends, ah, that's eh, nothing. And this, they were like, oh no, Stig, they're really going at it. And I'm like, there's a difference between lovemaking screams and someone being ripped to shred screams. Not in Mississauga. <laughs> Not in Mississauga. <laughs> Mississauga. And they're probably yeah. used to whenever they're, because they, they had the room next to Stig and Luann, they're probably used to hearing a lot of, Arr! <laughs> Arr, she blows. <laughs> I went down south of the 38th parallel. Boomerang. <laughs> Mel Gibson. <laughs> Kuwata Bear. Boomerang. Outback Steakhouse. Kangaroos. <laughs> See, I know Australian stuff. Bloomin' Onions. Bloomin' Onions. Crocodile Dundee. Fosters. Rugby. 
thing. Um, so yeah, they just totally blow off the screams. Um, speaking of lust, a lot of that going around this, this crazy farm. Uh, Randy is finally Randy enough that she just strips down naked in front of John Triton. And he reluctantly puts down his songwriting journal and gets in the shower with her. No, as Tut pointed out, that was David Foster Wallace's infinite jest. He puts that down. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fairly long shower sex scene. And was I the only one that occasionally think to myself, like, "Mm, nice ass. And then they'd pan up and it was John Triton's ass. (laughs) He had that long, wet, blonde hair. No, I'm the only one, man. What a supple backside. Oh, God, it's John Michael Thor. Dude, this 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 thing almost bordered on softcore. It went on forever. <laughs> I couldn't keep track of whose body parts were whose. Um, Classic. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't say softcore because you never really saw anything below the waist, but it just went on. It was the longest shower. And, of course, it, with the shower sex was set to a the Triton song, Somewhere, somewhere. It's like a love ballad. Uh, well, they thought, you know what? We need more filler, and we already show. How much of this goddamn van can we show? You guys are gonna have to get in the shower for ten minutes. Uh, would be weird if they're showering in the van. <laughs> they should Actually, have made love. Would be awesome. They should have made love here. in the van. It should Let's have been a van the sex. Best thing. elements we have here: Triton's ass. I mean, Brandy's ass, and the van. <laughs> See, I knew the doctor looked at that tight little Triton ass and th- thought the same thing I did. Matter of fact, the editor is like, where's where's Brandy's ass? I mean, shouldn't we put a little bit more of that? And Triton's like, no, 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 this is good. This so is you've good. got gold right here. You don't this mess is, with that. This is real good. I did 75 squat thrusts that morning just to get ready for the shower scene. Cut her. Every now and again, you can cut to her breast, but uh, this is the moneymaker right here. <laughs> As Max and Dee Dee are uh, getting dressed, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, that Max and Dee Dee, the keyboard player, were doing it? Yeah. Um, also went on forever. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 and they had a different Triton song playing while they were doing it. Too. <laughs> That's like a speech he gave the opening night. Like, look, we're all adults here. I don't care if you guys uh, want to get into some hanky panky. Just make sure that my voice is singing a song in the room while you're doing whatever you're doing. It would have been a good scene to like, he can't possibly hear it. And they change tapes and he comes kick, kicks the door. And that's <laughs> Kenny Loggins. Ah! <laughs> See you out in the van. I'll be unlocking it. Give me 15 down there in 14 minutes of screen time. <laughs> Give me 15 minutes to go unlock the van and then we'll talk in the back. Triton, you ready for me? I'm still unlocking the van. Okay. <laughs> As Max and Dee Dee are getting dressed, a little boy peeks his head into the bedroom because why the hell not? There's a little boy here all of a sudden. Remember in Black Roses, one of the girls, the teenage girls, had a little brother who was possessed by the, the Black Roses van, and he was throwing his action figures in the fireplace and melting them. and like yes. That's the same little kid. Uh, oh yeah, that, that, that little actor uh, is in both these movies. I thought it was meant to be the boy from the fir- first of the movie. Uh, maybe. 
I couldn't tell. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It could be crispy boy. I don't know. Um. <laughs> You're so gonna regret buying that fucking beer. <laughs> I think it's a cool name. A cool name. Uh, they chased this, the boy. It sounds like the outsiders. How what you up to, crispy boy? Uh, just <laughs> pony boy. Crispy, you spoke more in the pack today, and I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> it's crispy boy in Dallas. <laughs> uh, you're totally going into your bedroom tonight, looking at your wife, going, "Crispy boy is here." <laughs> She's a. Why are you? What are you turning on? You know, it's Ducker. His new thing is that we have to listen to his voice on the podcast whenever we make love. <laughs> Who's Ducker? Oh, that's Cade's new name. I'm Chrissy Boy. He's Ducker, and just <laughs> just go with it. Whenever we make love, I got to queue up an old show and 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 listen to him introduce cigars. I put up with a lot of things in this marriage. <laughs> uh, that's when Mrs. <laughs> like when. Mrs. Baby, when did you start turning? When did you start sounding like Polly Walnuts? The moment when, you said we had to listen to Ducker. That's when Mrs. Crispy Boy runs out and unlocks the van and gets the hell out of it. <laughs> I think you should talk like Polly, though. Hey, my name is Crispy Boy. <laughs> listen, asshole. Oh, oh, hey, Crispy Boy. Um, they chased the little boy down the stairs and then he runs outside and disappears into the barn when they finally corner the tiny little bastard he immediately (laughs) transforms into a growling wrinkled demon and attacks the two lovebirds again we don't get to see any of the violence it's all played out in a silhouette against the barn wall which is getting really predictable and really super lame at this point i i get it low budget and but you you could do something to show some blood i mean it's a horror movie man especially especially in 1987 when the standards aren't as exacting as they are today and when you go back and look at like the friday the 13th that we know and love so they, they had bigger budget. They were low budget relative to, to other movies. They had a bigger budget than this by far. But what you can do with just some, you know, mixing up some some chocolate syrup and food dye and make yourself some blood. And you could you could add some even lame ass stuff that was that was better than that. I, I'm with you on that one. I, uh, you know, there was hardly any low budget movie as low budget as and I'm going to mention it soon i can't believe i haven't already you know the first evil dead same thing a bunch of people trapped out in the woods and with no money look what they did and it's like it's not that much if you can make a one-eyed penis monster you can make a fake arm and chop it off and get some blood splurting around you know they they had some ingenuity with those actual visual effects that you saw as cheesy and as kind of hilarious as they were that took some doing. Uh, you could have well, done something a little bit better there, yeah. Yeah, it did take some doing. Um, 
I think that's the highest praise we'll give this movie tonight. There's some stuff in there. There's some stuff in there that took some doing. Took some doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I well, that's another thing too. The it wasn't necessarily nothing was played for laughs except those one-eyed penis monsters. Like everything I think else, they was, were actually supposed to be scary. Were they? Because they played little jokey kind of music whenever they were around. And yeah, like, and the, the little voice. I think they were supposed to be like the creepy type thing. And you're like, they're not. <sighs> oh, God bless you, Thor. Later that night, Triton and Randy sit alone at dinner. And that's what they do. They got this five weeks in this farmhouse, and there's no kitchen table. They have to sit on the floor in the living room around this coffee table. But they had it set for everybody, and they're the only two there staring at a bunch of empty, unused plates. Enough is enough already, Triton complains. How are we supposed to rehearse our new material and get ready get ready to tour if nobody's here? It's a fair question. Yes, legit. I thought we were supposed to come out here and do stuff together. Everybody left. Uh, How did they leave? There's no van. Look, I, I I don't know. I don't know anything anymore. Uh, he finally reasons again. This is like, hey, if Phil was dead, he would have called us. He finally reasons again, completely unreasonably. Oh, you know what? Phil must have come back after all this time while we were humping in the shower. And then he gathered everybody in the van and drove them away. That's probably what happened. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Granted, they were doing the shower for like three hours. So, I mean, I guess that could have been. But why? Uh, we get to watch also, Triton. That farmhouse has the largest water heater ever. Well, I think uh, he was, he was, he had his, his muscular back to the water stream. Uh, I think he, it, it, when the, if the water got cold, he was protecting his lady from, uh, you know, from that. So he was kind of like one of those old fashioned windmills. I mean, his back generated power. It made its own water. <laughs> Do you see those lat muscles? <laughs> we get to I watch bigger muscles when I sail to the South Seas. The tortoises of the Galapagos Islands were. Hey, Tut, you know where an Australian's uh, favorite place to eat is? Where's the Arby's? Oh, boy. No, that's not an Australian cave. Once again, that's a pirate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. Australian pirates. Got it. Well, we get to watch Triton wash dishes now for a while. This is our fifth dishwashing sequence in the film, uh, which we've not really seen anybody eat anything, but uh, there, there's a lot of dishes to be done. You think that was in post-production too? We've already used the van too much. Just go wash some dishes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and when he grabs a Coke from the fridge, there's a whole cooked chicken on the top shelf that has one protruding eyeball sticking out of it and some sharp teeth that tries to unsuccessfully... Uh, bite our lead singer. This is where I was kind of. Re- this is where I. This is where I was reminded of the Evil Dead films. You in those films you had all this random, strange, scary shit happening, 
but it was explained from the via the, ne- the Necronomicon. Yeah. In Rock and Roll Nightmare, we get nothing. Oh, it, look, it's a moaning rotisserie chicken with fangs. Great. Like, there's, there's just no backstory. There's no reasoning for any of this nonsense. Um, and don't get me wrong, I, I like kind of esoteric uh, things that aren't overly explained, but... Why is it to be at least the thread of Why explanation? Look, boys, Thor's not going to hold your hand on this, okay? He expects you to keep up. It's so true. <laughs> hey, did you ever have a bad experience with some Mississauga chicken? Uh, man, they, they had this one chain restaurant there. It was called the Swiss Chalet. And that was their specialty was rotisserie chicken. And uh, I was late, late one night after hitting the bars, me and about five or six one-eyed penis monsters strolled in there, ordered up about a half dozen rotisserie chickens. And I don't think I need to tell you, Crispy Boy, it was one hell of a night. (laughs) No, you don't. No, you don't. Classic. Only the chalet chicken (laughs) would do for me. That is classic ducker duck. That is classic ducker. Oh, that was my first introduction. You know what? At, at Swiss Chalet, a, every time you'd, you'd eat there at the end, they'd bring you a the, the Toblerone bars. Yes. Those, those real giant uh, chocolate bars. That that was like your your fortune cookie at a, at a Chinese restaurant. You'd eat your rotisserie chicken. They'd, they'd give you a Toblerone bar. It was kind of weird. Um. Well, on that same note, we follow Triton out to the barn so he can make some progress on that love song he's been working on. And while he's sitting there composing, another one of those one-eyed penis-shaped monsters tries to get him unsuccessfully. Triton is so focused on songwriting, he sets his Coke can down on top of one of these penis monsters and doesn't even notice. Um, That's how deeply focused he is on this, this damn love song. And then a weird pterodactyl-looking creature tries to fling itself at Triton right as he drops his pencil and it flies over his head. I mean, you know, he was writing on his big chief pad and, you know, just drops that, drops that you know, elementary Tut, school pencil. And Tut, as a musician, were you surprised that when Triton is working on his love songs, he's not writing lyrics. He was actually writing notes. I know. <laughs> Ain't nobody does this. Does anybody do that? No, you would at the most you would write like a, a what's called a, a, a bar a, a, a chord system to where it'd be like four, five, two minor. It's, it's all like notation. It's not you're not you don't have your staff paper out there writing the eighth note with the draw little the filigree there. Right, Triton does. He's hardcore. He's and that's probably he's what makes Triton Triton. For- Geez, if only we had a musician on the show, we could have picked his brains out. <laughs> we could have asked Bill Golden him and like, that's literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Or he would have totally like put Crispy Boy in his place. That's how we wrote every single Faith No More song. <laughs> notes, notes first. He probably, he probably would have. It's like everything in here is legit. I too would stop to read Gravity's Rainbow during a recording session. <laughs> Do you have any idea how many dishes I washed during the recording of King for a Day, Full for a Lifetime? 
I was always on dishes duty. Um, no, you know what? Thank God I didn't. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should give Bill the whole show experience and ask him to watch this movie and stick around for the whole show. I think that would have been a very different. Uh, I, I, I would never do that. To a fine man like Bill Gold. Um, he didn't. Jews are green tonight. He didn't do anything to deserve this. No. Um, uh, so where was I? Oh, the the monster jumping at him and he ducks. After a brief encounter with the mysterious little boy back at the farmhouse, Randy shows up at the barn. In a deep voice, she tells Triton, You have to stop pretending that anyone is coming back alive. They're all dead. There's no way out of here. Well, except, you know, for the interstate that runs right behind the farm. But <laughs> pretend that you know, no one's picking up hitchhikers these days. And he doesn't flinch that she has this new deep demonic voice. Triton just laughs her off, which really pisses her off. In fact, it angers her to the point in which a bright red light surrounds her, and boom, she turns into a large black praying mantis-looking monster. Nice effect, Randy. Triton smiles. I like your new look. The monster tells Triton... At this point, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, I'm just kind of, huh? The monster tells Triton to prepare to die as it summons a handful of those penis-shaped thingies to help him kill the interloper. I don't know how much help those dongy little demons will be, though, as they're incredibly slow, and one is just hanging out smoking a cigarette at the other end of the thing. (laughs) Uh, Hey, 154 episodes. I never mentioned a dongy demon before. (laughs) That surprises me for some reason. Check the archives on that. I uh, yeah, I have to go back to the fuck Manicus and and see what. Oh was yeah, there. I, there was a dongy demon or two in that one. The head demon uh, once again warns Triton, "I'm going to kill you just like I killed all your friends. You didn't kill anybody, bub, or should I call you Beezlebub?" Triton asks. Oh snap! Here we go. Get ready, boys. You see, it turns out that John Triton is actually an ass-kicking intercessor, or for you noobs, an arch archangel. Oh, okay, thank you. Who created his imaginary bandmates, Phil and the groupies, all as mere shadows to occupy Satan's minions and eventually lure the Prince of Darkness out into the open. They never existed. There was no Phil. There was no band. There was no groupies. They were just illusions that Triton based on his favorite horror movie characters. Wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me there was no van? No van. Oh, it's too good to be true. Actually, no, that's not true because when when the demon is still Randy and she's like, you're never getting out of here. And he's like, what are you talking about? The van's parked outside. Oh, yes. The van existed. Okay. All van right. existed. All right. But, dude, when he says that, when he tells Satan that he based all these illusions on his favorite horror movie characters, <laughs> Satan goes, oh, yes, that's where I saw that nerdy bass player before. That's what Lucifer says, to which Triton's like, yeah, he was in that one with the guy in the hockey mask. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, a bright white light shines down on Triton. And just like that, his hair is now all frizzed out. He's got mascara on, 
He's wearing black leather wristbands and a metal studded bikini bottom loincloth and his nearly naked body's all oiled up somehow and he just starts flexing his biceps. I never saw Khan in a uh, horror movie, but let's go. I don't know about you boys. I noticed those biceps in that shower scene. That's the first time I was like, yeah, I was, I was hoping he was going to do something with those later on. What do you think would happen if I went to the gym like that tomorrow? <laughs> I, just have, I just have a black bikini with chain mail on it, and I'm all walking in there covered in coconut oil. My body. I'm all, <laughs> I think you're going to meet some interesting people. I think They're so. probably going to go, hey, you get the Micklethor discount. First one in years. <laughs> They're, dra- They're dragging him out of the gym. I know, Crispy Boy. Call Crispy Boy. <laughs> oh, oh, and I forgot this important thing. He's wearing a fucking cape. He's got, got a fucking cape. You have to. So he's got frizzed if you're, if you're out. You're a chainmail covered bikini. You may as well have a cape. He's got frizzed out blonde hair. He's wearing a cape. He's either ready to kick some fucking ass or play rhythm guitar in Vixen. Uh, he's he's down for something. Uh, so as a rocking tune fires up, even his fight scenes are set to his own music. Of course, and of course, uh, Thor did all the the music for the for the film. Uh, these two old foes, Lucifer and and the Archangel, begin battling it out. Satan is flinging a bunch of these four-legged suction cup creatures that trade in like slimy green boomerangs. I'm sorry, slimy green boomerangs. Boomerangs. Is that better? Yeah. The only thing uh, that I caught one and said, that's not a boomerang. That's not a boomerang. <laughs> oh, and get this. Two of those things actually leech onto our hero's chest. But Triton don't, ain't going out like no sucker. He rips those motherfuckers off him and tears them to pieces. And then charges Satan, and they get into a grappling battle. It reminded me of, remember that slap game in Jaws 3 they played at the bar? Where they would just kind of hold hands and, like, circle around each other? Stand well, that's, what Triton, that's what Triton... Standoff, there you go. That's what Triton and Lucifer do for, like, what, four minutes of screen time? They- <laughs> Well, there was a fire. I think, yeah, it might have been four minutes because I think the stars chewed up two and a half of him, like pretending to pull it off of his chest. Oh yeah, that was a long one too. Um, And then after he got him off his chest, he like did some flex, like a chest flex. (laughs) So they spin around in circles for several minutes. And it's just as exhilarating and suspenseful as it sounds. Uh, eventually, Triton can sense our boredom as viewers. So he starts reaching up and slugging the devil and punching him in his enormous arachnid face. Then he starts choking Satan. He just grabs him by the throat and choking him out until the Prince of Pain finally surrenders. You win this time, Triton. This place is yours. The devil screams as a bright flash appears, which seemed like it was just a Roman candle held under the camera lens. It was totally just a firework they put under there. And uh, poof, he's gone. Good defeats evil once again. Fuck yeah, the end. But wait, it actually wasn't the end. There was a strange scene of Triton at a cemetery in the dark that had no context and made zero sense. So I just skipped over that. And then... 
The film ended with a bizarre, even for this movie, prologue where the camera just stayed focused on a random house out in the suburbs for like a couple minutes, and then it just kind of backed out of the driveway, and that was that was the end. Well, you hear some you hear some chick screaming. It was like setting up because you can never truly defeat evil boys. You can only contain it. You can only make it go into the darkness. But eventually, it does come back. It's very uh, poetic, crispy boy. That's right. Um, so yeah, he he did not defeat Satan, but he did get him to say he'll go away for a little while. And at least the farmhouse he said was yours. So so the next band that comes in, maybe won't Look, have to deal. If deal they with. wanted to end this movie, it needed to be ending. Crispy boy in the van eating a microwave burrito on the CB, telling us about the pillars <laughs> of heaven. Maybe one of the little penis monsters clinging to the bumper of the van. The next us, time, I'm telling you, if one of those penis monsters says, Crispy boy, have you paid your dues? You just look them square in the eye and say, Yes, sir, the check is in the mail. It's a dark and stormy night, and a one-eyed penis has got your favorite head up against the back of a barroom wall. You look up square in the eye, and you tell him what old Crispy Boy does on a dark and stormy night. I love that. You look right into his one eye. You look into his one eye on top of his penis, you tell him what old Crispy Boy says at a time like that. Have you paid your dues, Crispy Boy? <laughs> Oh, do that whole movie over again. You know the whereabouts of a crispy boy. You leave crispy boy alone. You leave crispy boy alone. You've shown great courage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm sure this nickname will will dissipate quickly, (laughs) Tut. Crispy boy, you are not brought upon this earth to get it. Certainly, Whoa, you know the a, crisp, a crispy boy. Certainly, you know the problems that exist with uh, between a man and a one-eyed penis monster. Ah, uh... oh, come on, Ducker! I'm just a poor crispy boy. <laughs> so, do you guys, do you guys like rock and roll nightmare? <laughs> Uh, yes, no. yes. It was, I, a, it was actually all. It, it, actually, all jokes aside, there's a lot worse ways to spend 80 minutes. There, there is, and I mean, I. Has anybody else having seen TV, like we've had so much fun with this? this I know. See, that's we've had a lot of fun here tonight with this fucking <laughs> movie. I'm feeling really centered. Yeah. <laughs> um. What could be better? Six penicide monster bag? <laughs> <sighs> I man, you know, we we've we've poked a lot of a lot of uh, holes in this thing. We poked a lot of fun at this thing. But um Tut, you said at the beginning that, you know, th- these people weren't bad actors. No, no. Uh the dialogue they were given was was just ridiculously bad. Um but 
we've seen a lot worse. If, um, here, here's the one I'm kind of like, because I don't know any of the background of this uh, or anything, but if Thor pulled together some money because he wanted to make a movie where he played the protagonist and, you know, wanted to have fun with it. And as long as he wasn't trying to take it too seriously, then I'm not going to crap on it too much. And I, I had, I had an enormous amount of fun talking with it. So that or talking to you guys about it. So that in itself is worth something. Um, I, I, I'm trying to think of like, because I always say, you know, as long as the movie has heart, then, you know, I, I, I can forgive a lot. Uh, and I'm just trying to figure out whether this movie had heart or not. I think it did. I, I thought there I think was it did. Sincere, there, I felt the, the, the word that came to me was that, and obviously it's a shitty movie, but the word that came to me was like, this was sincere. Okay. Sincerity to it. It, it really did have a sincerity to it. And I think a lot of that comes from Thor. Yeah. Um, I mean, he he's not hamming it up in that in that final scene in that in that bikini. Oh no, he's legit. He's trying to be legit. He 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 made a conscious decision to say, "I need a studded bikini brief. (laughs) I'm going to wear this. I have to do it justice." And it's hard. It's hard to disrespect that. You know. Yeah, it was fun, and uh, it it was it was a, a a total Tuesday Night Cigar Club movie to to do uh for our big rock and roll show um it dude it doesn't get much more rock and roll than this show um i want to thank again uh bill gould for dropping in uh and just blowing us blowing us away one blowing us away with his awesome spirit uh yebiga 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 uh, the the perva the uh, oak barrel aged uh, plum brandy was just as if we didn't say it enough uh, a spectacular sipping uh, spirit it went so so good uh, with the cigar I'm I'm really excited to pair it with some other things um, but he's he really has has brought a, a really cool unique beverage to the marketplace but just on top of that just that he indulged us in you know so many cool stories from from his life and his 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 touring his travels um and best guest ever um as far as i'm concerned so i'll uh, second second that and we've had some awesome guests on here too yeah we have i'm not taking it away from any of those guys but it was just Super, super cool. So I want I want to thank Bill once again. Uh, go to the Yebiga Yebiga website. You can order a bottle. You get it at your house, like at your door. It was delivered like three days later. Um, Ooh, try it. I did not know this. So instead try of it. waiting for them to secure an Austin distributor, I can go to their website and try out both of them, the Perva and the Bella. Nice. Yes, the the only thing I would keep an eye on uh, on Bill's uh, social media because occasionally I missed it, but he'll do a, a free shipping promo code because that's where it gets you. Uh, the bottle itself, I think it was like forty five bucks, which is great, great price point, but it was like twenty bucks to ship it because uh, they use like the bar cart format. Um, so I. That's just a. St- I I I'm all about free shipping. I hate paying for shipping for anything. Um, 
So I, I'm going to keep my, as soon as he does another one of those free shipping things, I'm going to stock up. Uh, Cause yeah, man, it's just such a smooth, easy, easy sip and drink. And I, I, I really excited to try pairing it with some other smokes, uh, especially some smokes that I know not mystery, like the crown heads, but like, a. I'm, yeah. I'm really curious to fire it up with the league of nine and see how that plays. Yeah. Uh, league of nine. I've got some, uh, black work stuff that I'd like to try with it. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good stuff out there that I think that would match perfectly with. This. Uh, so, so thank you. Aficionado, but it, brandy would seem to be in the classic aesthetic of enjoying the finer things in life. Something that really goes with cigars. See, and yes, you're you're correct, Doc. And the thing that I like about that, or uh, especially about Yabiga, is the story behind it. It's Serbian. It's not high society. It's family. It's like it's basically moonshine, except there's like a one percent of masters of Serbia who make take their moonshine and make it just exquisite, and that's what he's bringing back is the exquisiteness of it. And man, I, I yeah, it, it is a great pairing. It I, I can't I can't see many cigars that wouldn't pair nicely with this, but they have to have flavor to them. You can't be getting some some run of the mill weak sauce cigars up there, otherwise the Ebiga is going to push it around. Yeah. But man, and, there's, and, a, there's a lot of open doors with this thing. And and to your point, Doc, another thing that's kind of separates it is a lot of those brandies. Uh, uh, are, are overly sweet and kind of uh, could kill a cigar with that sweetness. Whereas the, I mean, basically his Rakia is it's, there's nothing in it, but water and plums. It's twice distilled. Uh, the pervert we did uh, tonight was aged, I think 18 months in uh, yeah. oak barrels. And it, it, it was so unique, but the sweetness wasn't, syrupy or over over the top it wasn't a cavassier you know what i mean it wasn't uh it was it was really unique i'm i'm really interested to get your your spin on it doc next time you're down um so i think thank you billy for kicking off our rock and roll episode uh in the most uh perfect beautiful way uh the rock and roll cigar the eddie van halen tribute the uh chc series e Pretty straightforward. Uh, a nice, a nice peppery strength on the on the nose. <laughs> Doctor Wars Van Halen shirt tonight. How rock and roll is that? Uh, had some leather and earth. It was kind of a straightforward leather and earth profile. Very nice profile. Um, I want to say we never did talk price point on it. I think it was eleven fifty. I think that's a bit much uh, for what that cigar. Yeah, I, was, I would have said if you'd asked me price, I was going to say about I was probably going to say about ten, maybe ten twenty-five. Max. Yeah, I, I mean if it's if it's overpriced, it's only overpriced by a dollar or two. Uh, really? Yeah, because uh, it was straightforward. I mean, it was a straightforward cigar, but it had identifiable flavors. They were they were mixed and paired, or they were they were they were construction stacked nicely. Construction was uh, great. Yeah, and, and it just. It, I don't know if I'd pay eleven fifty for it, but I, like Yak Boy said, I, I wouldn't mind paying ten fifty for it. Um, you know, I mean, I like I said that you know the that pepper stayed with me. I yeah. mean, I, I like I said, I was hoping it was going to build up, but after I got past that halfway point, it never 
really went anywhere else. They just kind of stuck in there. The, 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 you know, the aromas on the cold draw, everything, you know, from start to finish for me, it was good. Like it was said, good. Said, we, uh, real quick, we never talked price point on our second cigar that we're, we're still uh, puffing on here. The Guardian of the Farm Apollo. Tut, what would you, uh, what are you thinking on this one? I'd say I'd stick around that ten ninety nine mark. Mm. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go nine fifty. I'm gonna go, and I forget what it, what it was. It's it's it was the earlier this afternoon when I did all my research on it. Um, classic Ducker. Uh, I'm gonna go eight bucks. Eight? That's that's pretty good. It's not bad. Oh, it is eight. I I hit it on the head. Eight bucks. Um, Tucker. Dude, I I would smoke this over that crowned heads any day. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, this guy, I, mainly just because I like the uh, uh the little marshmallow, the cinnamon coming across the retro hell, uh, and then you can't beat the price point. I mean that, that that's good. Hey, we've had to do some relights. It's got a little bit of a tight draw, but for what it when it's burning nicely and uh, that 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 complexity and flavors and that that spice kind of came and went throughout the retro hail. Got a little bit bolder there in the midway point, and then kind of went down and back up again. Uh, this is a cool cigar. I like it a lot. Let me ask you guys this: uh, at this point. If you can purchase a cigar for $8 that you smoke for damn near two hours, hour and a half, and maybe it doesn't knock your socks off, but it's better than a meh. It's like, you know, it has some things to recommend it. If you can get a cigar for that, even if your review of it is not overwhelmingly positive, but still, you know, you put it in the, this is good enough. If you can get a cigar for $8 that matches that, aren't, aren't you winning the day on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And uh, I always, I always, you know, put it in the thing of like, hey, if I'm going to sit somewhere two hours and I have some drinks, you know, if, I, if I'm, you know, at some place and I, you know, I order a drink, two drinks, three drinks, I'm sitting here going, what did I pay for this cigar versus what have I paid for drinks? And I'm sitting here going, Cigars always ends up being actually cheaper than oh, the drinks. Yeah, yeah but it's, like, really it's about value, right? Yeah, because I, mean, yeah, really. I mean, if you light up a twenty dollars cigar, you're expecting that thing to knock your goddamn brain out. I mean, so if you're if you're, I, I would consider eight bucks at this point uh, relatively cheap, unless it unless it's just no good. I mean, would yeah. you agree? It's definitely a win. It's definitely a win. Yeah, I I should mention I I saw this on the wrapper as I was taking the cellophane off. This was Cigar Aficionado's number eight cigar in their top twenty-five list of two thousand seventeen. So five years ago, this one cracked the top ten. Okay, nice. Um, I guess. And I could see it because actually, if it wasn't if there wasn't the draw issue, if this thing just burned beautifully and draw and drew drew perfectly, man. Anytime you're giving me a, 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 a intermixed cinnamon and, and pepper retro with, uh, you know, this commingling leather and cedar with some marshmallow and mineral. I mean, 
just saying it for eight bucks. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that to me is the, the key. I mean, like, you know, forget, forget cigar aficionado's rating. I mean, that's obviously something that a lot of people read. It's important to them, but everything is subjective. So but when you just put it at, you know, everything's about value. So you were talking about, you know, the brandy at $45. I mean, people pay a hundred bucks for, for bottles of hooch that sure. yeah. drink it. And you're like, okay, it was good. But was it a hundred dollars? So that's why $45 for something that really, that you really enjoy, like that's good value. So when you start talking about the price points of so many cigars that, that you guys have done here, just even the last two years, we've been on zoom, you know, 11, 12 bucks, whatever you get to an $8 cigar, forget yeah. what the rating was. I mean, that that's, if, if it's, if it's decent then that that's good value. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give this, the guardian, of the farm, the nudge over the, the crown heads as far as my winner of the night. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, and I, I'm going to go ahead and give the, the Rocky my, my full endorsement as the beverage of the night. I mean, I love my IPAs, but, uh, man, it was such a unique pairing, uh, that Rocky with, with the cigar. I, I want to do that more, uh, I am, I am so looking forward to adding that to my cabinet. I, I'm kind of like Bill, like I'm out of it and I, I want more. Um, and yes, very much so. And, and, and you know what I was thinking too? I was like, that's a really just a cool story to introduce someone, you know, when someone's over at the house, instead of pulling out a bottle of scotch, when you go out for a cigar or, you know, grab some craft beers out of the fridge or some bourbon to pull out a fucking bottle of that, that plum brandy. And you know, their first impression is going to be like ours. Oh, fruit mm, and yeah, brandy. Mm. Yeah. And then they take a sip and they're like, especially if they're a scotch drinker and like, Oh, wow. What the, what the fuck? There, there is a level of complexity there, which is really good. I mean, you know, what, whether or not what, you know, irrelevant of what it's made. I mean, I mean, I couldn't, I would think like, Hey, I would run towards someone who said, Hey, it's made from plum versus someone who's like, Hey, vodka, it's made from potato. Like really potato. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Not, not thinking about complexity there. Thinking about French fries. There's nothing <laughs> complex about a potato. <laughs> I think, I think that might be the quote of the night. Unless it's a Mississauga potato. Then Unless it might have an eyeball on it. And who knows? Crispy boy knows. He's the one you call crispy boy. He's the one you call make you feel all right. He's so crispy. He's insane. Crispy boy. <laughs> you know what? And it wouldn't work nearly as good if he didn't have that fucking cowboy hat on. <laughs> and, the puka, and the puka shell necklace. <laughs> it makes it. That it's is. Some shirt. That is classic. <laughs> Crispy boy. I almost called him Crusty boy. Classic Crispy boy. Oh, that's my that's, poor that's, name. That's another, that's a whole nother thing. Um, all right. Well, I hope you, uh, you folks at home and in your cars and on airplanes and wherever you're checking us out, I, I, I hope you got a kick out of our rock and roll uh, episode. Uh, I, I haven't had this much fun uh, on a show in quite some time. Fun show. <laughs> it's a very fun show very educational show. Um, 
I, I just my track down rock and roll nightmare, the director's cut. More van. <laughs> More van. Back to the van. The, to the, the van. The dishwasher cut. <laughs> oh God. More... <laughs> uh, there's this one uh, deleted scene I really am excited about. It's where Stig takes a break from the, the trap set and washes the, the, the lunch dishes. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, this was fun. Uh, so thanks everybody for joining us. Um, we uh, we did 420 the right and responsible way. We we just got drunk. Uh, rock and roll. Uh, Tut, give us some links. Okay, man. So you want to join us up on Instagram at TNCC underscore podcast. You want to hit us up on Twitter at TNCC cast. Join us on Facebook, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Definitely subscribe to us on YouTube at Tuesday Night Cigar Club. You will not be disappointed. You get to see all of our lovely faces. Hey, man, this especially jump in now because you get to hear some great, great stories and some good insight uh, from uh, the man Bill Gould. Man, how how cool is that? Uh, so look forward to seeing you there. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, what? I'll give him a, a shout out. Go if, you, if you're interested in sampling it, which after listening to the show now, why wouldn't you be? Go to uh, yebiga.com, which is awesome because basically Bill Gould owns fuckit.com. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what it translates to. Is it translates it. to fuck it. So he, uh, he, he is the uh, he owns the domain of fuckit.com. That's why I uh, that. Which, which, uh, it, it just awesome. Um, so yeah, so there's the links. We will see you again, uh, here shortly. But in the meantime, may the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Thanks for tuning in. Sayonara, motherfuckers. We'll see you next time. To learn more about the time I worked as a roadie on the 1985 Toto World Tour, wait, groupie, I was not a roadie, I was a groupie. Subtle difference, I suppose, for those who just won't ever get it. And by the way, Cade was right for once. Those guys really were the least horny band I have ever followed across the country. And that's saying something because I spent a considerable amount of time in the 90s on the road with the Spin Doctors. Or was it Ace of Base? I don't know. Uh, well, whoever it was. They've still got my black leather bikini trunks with the sweet metal spikes. Yeah, folks, it's true. Matchbox 20 didn't kill rock and roll. My bitchin' bikini trunks did. Anywho, to learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, please visit yabiga.com and crownheads.com. And don't get me wrong, Match 20 still sucks major one-eyed penis monsters, though. They are just fucking terrible. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'BrienSimple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well. Go to work, get drunk, 
Don't sleep like 